And he said, man, what you gave your father at the end of his life uh, is priceless. Professional wrestling superstar, champion, entrepreneur, author, and show host. Feeds you more interviews, more stories, more information, and more laughs than ever before. <laughs> Conversation with the big guy, Ryback, with JD and Asian Joe starts now. Welcome to Conversation with the Big Guy, Ryback. I am the big guy, Ryback. I got Ryan Satin here. We're starting off hot again. Once again, here on Conversation with the Big Guy, and uh, with a little wrestling talk with the Wrestling Report. What's going on, man? The Big Guy's Wrestling Report with Ryan Satin, brought to you by Pro Wrestling Sheet. Not much, man, Washington. Not much. A lot a lot was going on this week because of the Superstar Shake-Up. A lot of things were popping in the world of professional wrestling, and also a lot of stuff going on personal life. Now that we're recording on the weekend, we got... Passover and Easter back to back and 420. Everything's oh, just man, it's and 420. I forgot about that, dude. It's a hell of a weekend. It really is because I usually, you know, I, I I don't know how many of you are like me who have to celebrate who have who have a Jewish dad and a and a, and a non-Jewish mom, but like <laughs> it really screws you up when Passover and Easter are back to back like that. I, I can imagine. Like, my mom, yeah, my mom was bummed that we couldn't have the whole weekend together. <laughs> my dad just. Uh, you know, I got to go drive all the way out to him. It's a whole thing. So uh, lots of stuff going on in the world of, of Ryan Satin. But like I said, lots of stuff going on in the world of professional wrestling. I think the two biggest parts of that were involved in the Superstar Shakeup, and that is uh, Roman Reigns moving to SmackDown. Roman yes. Reigns going to be the new face of SmackDown Live, and AJ Styles moved to Raw. He's going to be the new face of Monday Night Well, I shouldn't say the new face of Monday Night Raw because we got Seth Rollins there, but – uh, a big factor in the main event. Uh, what do you think about those two moves? I like it. I think it's. Uh, I think it's good. I, I think SmackDown is a uh, a good place for Roman to go over in his fresh matchups. Switch over two of the top guys on the brands, and AJ can have some fresh matchups on Raw. And uh, I liked the way see, with Roman too. I liked the way that they did that with uh, with Vince and Elias because I thought it, it helped Elias a little bit get make Elias. Because Elias, to me, is a big-time superstar. But he's not being booked in matches to match the the segments he's doing. Even though, because I I think he's, they've done a great job as far as giving him a lot of TV time. And and to me, he's one of my, the favorite characters. I think if he had some, if he was getting, it kind of looked like how The Rock was being booked along the way. The Rock was winning big, big matchups and winning some titles. I think that would really do a lot, a lot for him um, to play with that. But being involved in a segment like that, I thought it was a great way because if you would have just had Roman come out, he would have been booed again because of the way it was built up. And that was actually a really good job by WWE of kind of... Because everyone... And people like Elias, but if you look... They're like, it, it just kind of shows you how fans could be. If you would have just had Roman come out, everyone would have been pissed. Oh, you're shoving him down our throats, shoving him down our throats. But you do Elias, and then they're bummed out at Elias because it's not as big of a star as you wanted. So it's, boo, we don't want to lie. He's not a big star. You guys lied. We and, thought it was going to be Roman Reigns. Yeah, we thought you took that away from us, booing. And then, so then finally when Roman does come out, and then and the way they did that entire thing, it was, it was I thought everyone won on that. And uh, Vince still taking 
getting in there, getting physical. It's scare. It's it doesn't scare me. I, I, but it's it would I would be scared if I was, you know, related to him. Where well, it's it's funny because he he's found a way to where he can kind of take a bump without having to take a full bump now. Where he had Elias behind him ready to catch him. Do you th- so, can you imagine know, the pressure on Elias for that? Oh hoping, man, I couldn't imagine. Because Vince is really clumsy, and like he. Like, even the way he fell clumsy, even. Like, it was... I thought Elias, man, he better have got a huge bump bonus for that. That was... He, <laughs> well, but, his bon- his big bonus was being in, in the main event of, of, of and being involved in that whole uh, yeah. angle. Because <laughs> I do think that is a big get for him, or big uh, uh, bump up for him. You know, he has kind of been like the mid-card concert guy. And for Vince to kind of be like, no, this is the future. I also think... Like you said, it it was a really good job of getting people to not boo Roman Reigns because it's like, you know, he's supposed to be Vince's golden child, yeah. you know, like the, the number one guy in Vince's eye. And so for him to be like, no, Elias is the future. And then to have Roman kind of punch him in the face, I I really do think it played into all that well. So where he makes you not think about the fact that he's Vince's favorite uh, wrestler right now, you know? No, absolutely. And, but I'm telling you, man, the whole, the whole cancer thing, I feel like people, it's already... The, the things move so quick this day and age. I booze have already started coming back oh, yeah. out. It's so oh, I it's, see the tweets all the time. Like, are we allowed to boo Roman again? I feel again? like they feel like they can now. Like it's because I even thought I heard some on that one, but then it was like, no, we got we no, we still got to cheer. It's uh, <laughs> they're fighting with themselves over this right now. So it's like if he would if he came out first, they would have straight up booed. But it's oh oh yeah, absolutely. I, I wish, also think. To get what you wanted, what what you were saying, Elias needs. Uh, I saw a good, I saw a cool idea on Reddit this week where someone said that Elias should win Money in the Bank, and then his his guitar case should be his briefcase, where uh. it says Money in the Bank on the side of it, and then he can actually re- start to wrestle some matches and build him up for a, a year. Build him up for exactly for for a good little while to to show him having good matches while teasing the cash-in with his guitar and how yeah. he might do a surprise performance or whatever. Um, well, that's how you like make another fun. star. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. It's, but you can't, you can't do it and then have him lose all the time. And It's like when Damian Sandow won, and he had momentum. And all they had to do was just use him just decent during that and have him cash in, and he would have he been elevated to a higher level. And you can see what happens after that. It was completely the opposite. Why do you think... That what? Like, why do you think Vince didn't... You mean, you were around there. Yeah, no, I know. Why do you think Vince didn't pull the trigger on Sandow? Uh, There was... There's a lot of us, man. You can't really... doesn't. A lot of things don't make sense. I do know from other producers... That place, man, everyone just talks about everyone. Like, the um, producers. And I remember... I've known Sandow since developmental down in OVW. He's a great guy. And he he just messaged me the other day, actually. But they... I remember, and I won't say who it was, because it was actually one of the producers I really, I like, uh, but they, kind of the word was that he, he asked a lot of questions, and, and like, or he would talk to a, he would talk to an agent, and I don't know if he didn't necessarily talk to Hunter and Vince, and like, I just think they, they just look for anything to kind of knock you, and it's weird, I don't, I don't, and I don't know specifically what it was, but the guy is was an extremely talented performer, and not to say he had to be a main event level superstar. But there's I his career path I don't understand because he was such a character and he he could wrestle and have really solid good wrestling matches. 
and they just they didn't they didn't use him like that. And he like the whole Mizdow stuff that was never supposed to to be anything. But that's a testament to him and Miz, and they made it it they made that so good. And then they just they just dropped it. It was just like and then they didn't they knew they were going to get rid of him, and they pulled him off TV, and then they fired him. And it's I don't get it. And you it, know, I also don't get it because it's like, you know, it, it's also weird when they get mad about something getting over that they that they saw as a throwaway act. You know, yeah. similar to Rusev Day. Miz, you know, the whole Miz Dow thing was very similar to Rusev Day where it's like, well, we don't know what the f- we're going to do with these guys. I don't know. Put them and tag them together. Whatever. Yeah. Like, let them, let them figure it out, you know? And then Rusev Day got over. Like, you know, Miz Dow got over. I remember being in the crowd during that Andre the Giant Memorial yeah. Battle Royal when it seemed like he, he was gonna win and how how bummed that crowd was when he didn't. I, I remember that like it felt like the like we all got kicked in the gut. It was like wait, but that's what we're all here. That's what we all wanted to see in this yeah. match. Like what the hell, you know? There was like, a lot of crazy stuff during that period. That was actually I was told I was going over on that. If you watch back to the video they did where it was like a workout video, very like me coming back. It was very like built up like. Supposed to be a thing, and the night before, one of the writers told me, "No, it got changed to Big Show." And I don't know if Big Show had said anything or, or whatever. But also, Miz and Sandow, I don't know if they were ever told they were going to win, but I think they thought there was going to be something. Like it would have made sense for something to happen angle wise. Like that would have made me happy if that yeah. was if I wasn't winning and that was what was going to happen because it's playing off of something that's hot. That's you know what I mean. And it Absolutely, was absolutely uh, yeah. And, like, and someone I, who deserves it too. Yeah, and then instead it was and not to say Big Show didn't, but he, at that point in his career it was he just didn't need it. No, and that's kind it, of what they'll they just do stuff like that, and you don't. And it's like, do you think that's why? Okay, so like this has been the big story of the week is like at least in my opinion is like wrestlers continuing continuing to want out. Yeah. Um, and and, and Luke Harper kind of led the way with this kind of becoming a thing again where. Uh, he requested his release. He put a statement on social media, letting it be known that he wants out of his contract. Um, you know, we talked about Sasha Banks last week. Um, you know, and and it seems to just be a growing number of wrestlers mm-hmm. who who want out. And and it's and it's it's interesting to me because it's it's interesting to me because for the longest time it was the spring cleaning or whatever, where yeah. you know, like they would release people. They would release people. They'd release a bunch of people, and and people. Would be tr- the whole joke of JTG of like why did I answer my phone type thing of like a yeah. don't answer your phone try to stay on as long as possible um but it feels like that's not necessarily the case right now and no. and 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 I know that obviously there's you know there's possibility of another company paying uh, similar money or or comparable money at least yeah. um which obviously has to help a little bit but do you think that these you know I, these kind of these instances that you're referring to, like where they they do mess with talent a little bit, even if it's un- unknowingly, do you think that's kind of what is the what's 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 kind of like leading towards this? What what's pushing this from happening? Yeah, well, that's it's the environment they've created over the years, and that's why you see, and that's why it kind of they've created this environment where they hold people back and hold money so they can keep them as long as possible, and they treat people bad, different people at different times and scenarios. And then they get angry if that talent, if like they they get angry if you you push back with how they treat you. And but what's happening is is with this other promotion with AEW coming up on board, and and the potential that they could have, 
guys finally, like WWE, ever since WCW went out of business, they started screwing over the boys and the talent a lot more. Cutting down their pay. John Laurinaitis was a big part of that. Getting guys on lower pay. And, and pay started drastically going down. Because what are you going to do? Well, you can go do the independents. And like I said, for about two years, and I, I killed it on the independents. And then it starts dropping off a little bit. And about on that. But like talent, I think, with the indies now in the different territories, they feel they're going to be okay, at least for the foreseeable future. And there's enough places to go where they can they can do all right. But this is all what I said. It goes back to the way if they if the booking was... How could we make everybody as big of a superstar as possible? And what can we do? These are our guys and girls. We've hired them. They're here. Rather than the mindset being, how are we going to try to hold people back and screw with people? And who do we have to watch out for getting too hot? It's their whole mindset. And then once you're there, and this is people don't understand. Like talent love wrestling. And you get there and you see what is really going on. And it just becomes a paycheck. And eventually, though... In going to the airports and the traveling and the rental cars and just dealing and dealing with a lot of the negativity and being exposed to people and how you're treated and you have no control over things, it just wears on you where anything is better than being there. And that's why you're seeing guys like Ambrose, Sasha, these, these before Stu, Wade Barrett, Del Rio, myself, we all walked away from millions of dollars. Yes. This is Dean walked away from millions of dollars. Like it's... These people these that have loved wrestling their entire lives are walking away... From a lot of money. A different, and this is over a period of three years, some of them five years and whatnot. You know, not necessarily per year on all of them. But it's it's a lot of money. Like it's a substantial amount of money. I mean, for, I, I, I've talked about it like as well. It's like where it's like, imagine the stars of a, of, of a very successful long-running television show just being like, we want out because we hate the way we feel. Like that, that would be a huge story anywhere else. Like... Anywhere, anywhere else, if there was any other television entertainment medium yep. where the stars of the show were all making millions of dollars and want and mass wanting to leave, and you, I guess, in mass might be a little extreme, but I mean, oh, I, outside of the top talent, man, if you were to poll them, if you were to poll everyone outside of the, like the the little small percentage, all of them would would say if money was equal somewhere, they would yes, one hundred percent leave. I, I, it's everyone there is. I talk to a lot of them. It's, it's yeah. all of the same same mindset. And once you're there, from the outside, you can't expect certain wrestling fans to understand that and whatnot. It's just what once you get there and see what it is, and you see how the pay is affected too, based off of how you're used and, and whatnot. And it, it's it's very frustrating, man. I think I think you're going to see a lot more talent continue to walk away. I really do, and I think that's why they're trying to lock people up. Really quick, because once AEW gets going, it's going to get worse. It really is. So, but like Luke yeah. Harper leaving, like that's the guy, man. He was just he was just tag team champions before he left with Rowan. Before Rowan got injured, and then he went and fixed his wrist. And he has a family and whatnot. And I didn't think, you know, that that's a, for a guy. I think it's cool. Finally, somebody with a family is like, nope, no more. It's not worth I think it. So too. But that's the thing too. He got a taste of being home. When he being home and off the road again, and you realize when that happens, I think that honestly, I think that's what happened with Dean. I think it happened with Sammy. He's back right now, but I wouldn't be shocked if Sammy at some point, because when you get it, when you get out out of that bubble long enough, in the way that it's been the last fifteen years there, ten, fifteen years, twelve, fifteen years, you almost just realize like it's not worth it. I also think you know you talk about you know being home for a minute and and being out of the bubble. I also feel like. You know, and and you know more than me, but you know when you get out of that 
bubble, you know, you talk to other people outside the bubble. <laughs> and yep. then, you know, when you're in it, you're surrounded by the people you're with. You're talking to all your friends in WWE. You're talking yeah. to everyone who works in WWE. Your life, you breathe WWE. But when you're not there and you kind of hear about, like, some of the money people are making outside of WWE or just, like, how you – People are still living. People are still making enough money to eat, and, and you've got a lot in the bank, and you're like, oh, sh maybe I don't have to do that. Like, maybe I don't have to be treated like crap all the time. And oh. that's that's got to be a, that's a tough one, you know. That's, <clears throat> that's a tough that's a tough pill to swallow when you're making millions of dollars of being yeah. like of the whole like what's better, money or happiness type situation. That's tough. It's tough. Yeah, no, but I think and it would people are getting enough money where they're comfortable for the foreseeable future and then they're just they're gonna see what their options are because it's it's not happening there and it's um I and I talk like I said when I talk to people, like it it's so awesome, you know, to see what you're doing. Like that's a common thing and uh we really think, you know, it takes a lot of courage to do what you did. And like they everyone gets it, man. But it, they see there's examples of people leaving and doing, doing all right. And it's uh I think it's going to help people there because there's a lot of smart people there. And you're seeing, too, another thing with talents there. And this is what I wanted to do while I was there until I realized how hurt I was, To The business and, like, Seth Rollins investing in a coffee shop and has his, his black and brave. And it's not Seth Rollins because WWE owns that. But you're seeing guys start to do some things. I, I, know, I know there's some other people doing some other things there outside of it. And a lot of them... Yeah, like, a lot of them. Get, buying some real estate. Fandango's another one. He's he's into the real estate market, and like, cause he he's kind of on that that you know that lower middle. How he's kind of paying everything, I would imagine, and that might have improved over the last couple of years. But just from what I know, and uh, and he's he's on the yard. huh. Rhino bought that boat yard. Yeah, exactly. But people Rhino. are doing things now to start, and the reason why they're doing that is so they don't have to be dependent on a wrestling paycheck. And I think as time goes on and, and we evolve 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to see more and more guys that leave wrestling quicker once they make a little bit of money because it's not Kurt Henning, man, get in to get out. That's what he told Brock. It's what he, it's, it's what those old timers, that was the mentality. You don't get in to just stay in. It's and some people do, but it's, I, I see, I don't, I, it's a rough life. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it is kind of like the difference between a businessman and a wrestling fan who who's getting there, businesswoman, business person, yeah. uh, you know, because, I mean, like, I've always thought it was weird that wrestling fans dislike Brock Lesnar for for wanting to, like, preserve his body and yeah. make a ton of money while doing it. Like, kudos to him. Like, I don't know why we're, like, mad that he doesn't want to be on the road 365 days a year. Like, most people don't want to be on the road. No, <laughs> that's what, that's like everyone. See, that comes back down to like mindset though. In humans, it, it, you want, you got to, it's a really tough thing for most people to see other people. And, and you want to see Art Anderson always used to say this. You want to see your, your neighbor do good, but you don't want to see your neighbor do that good where the, you know, they, they have a nice car, but then maybe they have two or three nice cars. Then you start thinking, eh, you like, <laughs> that's the thing. Brock did too well. So it's like, yeah, it's the thing. It, it happens. It's like Cena at one point, was doing people loved Cena at one point, and then when you start doing Roman, same thing, they start doing too well, and then it's like, No, f you, you're a piece, of <laughs> and it, it's because most people it's really hard for them to like, Man, good for them. That's I wish I could do that too, but man, that's that has to be a good feeling. That's really hard for people to do that, and other wrestlers to do that, and that's why there's so much jealousy and, and, and envy in this, and, and 
politics and talking. And I look at Brock. I think Brock's the man. That's the ultimate. He's done better than anybody in the history of wrestling. Yeah, totally. We should all strive to be able to have that kind of control. Yeah. It's, like it, 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 to be, like it's like Connor with MMA. I think that is incredible what he has done because those guys go through so much, and so many of them have been made didn't make anything, and for him to be able to call some shots, it's great. It's beautiful to see. But that's like me with a uh, Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair. I go like with Ronda Rousey. I go, dude. There was a time when people said Ronda Rousey was never going to be in the UFC. Now she's one of the most famous UFC fighters of all time and yeah. can literally do whatever she wants half the time. Or Charlotte, where Charlotte was like not didn't want to be involved in the wrestling industry and then her brother died and she's like you know what i'm gonna take on his dream and make it my dream yep. and look what she's done she just main evented wrestlemania yep. like to me that's so cool and, and then others go well she's been handed everything they've been handed everything and you never handed no. anything they worked so hard for that like yeah. she's been God. she's been given opportunities in 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 wrestling in the main slots and whatnot but she's gone out there and delivered every time yeah like, so that that's the role she's being asked to play and she hasn't failed at playing that role so no. it's but i people that's just how people get with that and anybody if becky becky is is pushed constantly for the foreseeable future you'll see people turn on her eventually as well, because it's just kind of what 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 people do. Do good, but once you start, and it, that's the same thing in WWE with the producers and the writers. When guys start doing good or getting momentum, then they start getting. Well, I never made that kind of money in my career, and then they start talking in the meetings, and it, it's Damn, Vince has a bunch of guys. Vince isn't in good. the meetings with a bunch of main eventers, by the way. He's no, not. I'm aware. I'm aware. Yeah. It's guys that need the payday usually that are still that hang around or had drug problems and they bring back and that's another thing they like to hire ex drug addicts or guys that were addicted and they 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 fix them because then those guys they know will be forever kind of uh, indebted to them in in the Makes cre- sense. yeah it, it's if you go back and look at the majority of guys that are around there like it's it's a real thing they have they have quite the system and environment but. I never really thought about that. It's a good, it's a, it's a good, it's a good observation. I never really thought about that. Yeah, no, it's there's a reason why they do that, and then they bring you in because guys like that will be forever loyal. And then you really like, well, look what they did for me. I can't. Yeah, it's a mix. It they sense. stooge and they do everything. They they'll tell you all the information you want. And man, it's it's all around. I says it's it's not it's not a fake thing. It's not by accident that oh well, fifteen of the twenty people we have in key positions are all ex drug addicts. Like. And no, it's awesome they overcame it, but that's a reality of the situation. There's definitely something going on on that end because guys like that tend to be very, very loyal when they, with that kind of thing, because they help change their life, you know. Yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense. Hey, lastly, not lastly, there's two things I want to talk about here. Uh, I forgot, I skipped one ahead. Uh, what do you think about Sanity getting disbanded? Uh, I feel like they never really got a chance on the main roster. They were kind of called up from NXT and then just never used whatsoever. Yeah. I know you didn't really have a lot of interaction with any of those guys. Eric Young, have you ever have you had any interaction with I've Eric never. I, I've met him before, I believe. Uh, I, I'm almost positive. I know I have. Uh, the other two, not not so much familiar with, but that's just another example of a, how they were used in NXT and presented in NXT. Uh they weren't necessarily given the same opportunities on SmackDown. I do think it kind of hurt too. To me, it was very similar to the Wyatt family too, in, a, in just in a way, just how how too close maybe three man group. It just kind of that dark, eerie feeling. And I think the Wyatt family set the bar really, really high with what they did with all that. 
But at the same time, Sanity never even had an opportunity to show how different they were, in my opinion, on the main roster. And that's kind of a thing. Those guys just went out. and They probably busted their asses and worked long live event matches. And then they'd get to TV and not booked really, really well. And uh, I think it's a good opportunity. I think they... I don't know if the one guy's leaving uh, or not from what apparently, I saw. Apparently, Alexander Wolf, yeah, he posted this thing saying goodbye to WWE, but it seems like, uh, from, what I've, from what I'm hearing, he's going he's gonna to be in NXT UK now. Okay. So, so and, and I, they reunited like a tag team stable kind of thing that yeah. he was involved with called Ring Comp. And so um, the word is that he's going to be involved in, in that starting. There's a taping going on as okay. we record this. So I've been waiting to see what happens with that. Well, that's the guys like it, it for them. They got to look at it like this. They never really were given an opportunity. So this is kind of a restart for everyone. And Eric and is the most seasoned out of all of them. They probably figure moving Eric. To Raw, they, they might be able to kind of do something with them. Or if not, they have a good hand on Raw to go out there and for live events to go out. He could put in time, do singles matches. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him or if they do try to get him over in some capacity on his own um, because he hasn't been really given that opportunity there yet. But he's he's a smaller guy, but I think he's, he's a very talented performer and... Um, I think he could play many different roles too. So I think Eric and I, he that I think somebody in WWE that needs to step up and play that Santino role, the comedy role. Yep. You need that in every period in wrestling. I don't feel like the ball was ever the torch was ever passed from Santino to somebody else. Yeah, no, I not really. Now, Sandow did a great job with the Miz. Now that was like that was the comedy stuff during that, but he didn't. They, they he could have filled that role perfectly if they would have let him long term. That's, yeah, they haven't really had any like comedy guys like that in a minute. I'm trying to think. Yeah, he really, and Eric actually has done that at impact too. Yeah, like, that's what comedy guy. If yeah. I were him, because that's the way you make money. You got to find something they're not doing. Is that could be a huge opportunity for him to change his character up a little bit and get really, really over and and be used in, in as a, as a comedy, like in a comedy capacity. Santino, I think, is one of the all time greats, and that I've seen him on live events. Just tear the house down doing nothing and being so stupid. And it is, it was amazing to watch. And he did all the boys in the back, the girls, monitors sell out every time he was on, on live, live event matches. And you just hear the crowd. And it was, I mean, we're all, we'd be in tears, belly laughing at the, at the shit he would do. And I think it's, it, he has an opportunity to, to, to do something, hopefully. And I don't know if that's it, but. Um, and the other guys can kind of, you know, get a fresh start and see what they can do. But that was probably for the best based off how they'd been used. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I also think that moving him to Raw, um, you know, he has like a bunch of people behind the scenes now that he worked with at Impact. It's like Jeff Jarrett, Abyss, Sanjay. Sanjay yeah. You know, all those guys were all fans of his back back then. And they have all seen him do all that comedy stuff. And I really do. I wonder if that was a big reason why they they disbanded the team because they know that Eric Young is money and those guys maybe pushed for it. like hey give us Eric Young we yeah. we could find something for Eric Young like you might not dig the other guys they're green you know not green because they have experience but um, yeah. you know they're they're not Vince guys yet and so like give us a chance with Eric Young yeah. like he's only got this much time left you know yeah. like, no and it's tough too you got to go by look they're playing kind of an intense group sort of thing. 
Eric's not the biggest guy. The other guys are new. They weren't really used. They weren't. They never had an opportunity to really get over as that as as real threats. So it's kind of it is is. I thought they all did a great job in that role. I think though there's going to be other roles they could play. They can excel in and do better in. So it's um, and and that's exactly how I feel about similar to how I feel about the Riot Squad being split up as well. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, Liv Morgan got moved to SmackDown, so she's going to be doing her own solo thing there. Uh, Sarah Logan and uh, Ruby Riot are still on Raw, but from from what it seems, the group's done. There's no yeah. more Riot Squad. They're going to be doing their own thing, and 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 I I I really feel like those three women are going to have really successful singles careers because they were such a good team together. But um, they all have potential. I feel like, and you got to give talents. It's sometimes easier to bring up a group of people and put them together and, and let them get over. I remember that was always Vince's thing with the Nexus when we came up and with NXT. He goes, individually, you guys aren't worth anything to me, but put you all together, you guys you guys are money. That was a thing in a meeting, I remember, when we had to do promo classes. And I remember hearing that and thinking, I was like, yeah, that's really true. Because we came up, we, when we were all on our own, we weren't, none of us were really truly over. Or, you know, we hadn't given, been given the time. But all of a sudden, you put everyone together, and it's like a Transformers coming together. And same thing with like them. Put three girls together that are brand new, and they kind of and they 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 gelled and, and meshed really quickly. And they they had some money with them for the time being. And now it's like okay, now they have individual characters that people at least know better than they would have had they tried to bring them up individually at the time. Where now they'll have a better chance of 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 doing well or as good as they can and whatever roles they're given. So I like it. I think you as a talent you want when you're in a group, it, it's easy to kind of uh, like doing tag match. Like I never like doing tag matches because I don't. I like working. I don't like. It, it feels like even though you don't feel like you're working a lot of times, and it's good when you're injured, you could work tag <laughs> matches and whatnot. And it's but uh, like in six man tags or eight man tags, it's just so you're not really doing much. Yeah. So, and some people like, that's good on some days when you're beat up, but like when you're doing that for like, you know, like two years straight and you're not really getting singles matches, it's, you miss doing those singles matches and whatnot. So. No, that definitely makes sense. Uh, and I, yeah, it's funny. I never really thought about it. They are kind of like a she, she nexus, you know, like, uh, like a, <laughs> she brought up from NXT, you know, had nothing really to do with each other. They've kind of like got thrown together, but yeah. they made it and got super over yeah i like it i'm into it i'm into it okay lastly i want to bring this one up um <laughs> this one uh i just thought this was kind of crazy because you know we've you know as wrestling fans we've you know the the, the montreal screwjob story has been discussed to death yes but um i i thought it was crazy that the other day you know earl hebner was on sirius xm's busted open and in the wake of the Viceland documentary on the Montreal Screwjob, he now says that he's been protecting Bret Hart this whole time, and he doesn't want to lie about it anymore, and that he believes that Bret was in on the whole thing, that he thinks Bret was in on the work, uh, that that he knew the Screwjob was going to happen, and that this was all played up for the story. Brilliant, if it was. Brilliant. Right? Yeah. That's pro wrestling. Why wouldn't that I nothing I don't put anything past anything but I it's also very believable the way that it played out with the way um that it but that would be that wouldn't shock me one bit man you know what's crazy is I've always I've always had this like 
inkling inside that the Montreal I was all I wasn't open about it, but I was always one of those Montreal screw job truthers where it yeah. was like where it was like why would they allow the camera to be there like backstage when Bret Hart punched uh, Vince or whatever. Yeah, like, that actually, that should never have. That would never have happened. Never have happened. Like even if they had that, the per, like even if they had allowed, even if WWE had allowed a, a production crew to be backstage to film one of their wrestlers. Yeah. Never in a million years would they have allowed them to be right there when all that stuff was happening. And that when takes Trip time to set all that up, by the way, and have all the the st- like. Very well, so interesting. The, well, the way it, they always claim that from what I recall, is that wrestling with shadows, because it was like with the Canadian government, that's why they were allowed to shoot backstage. And and and, and even in the one scene where Brett is like talking about the finish to Vince, you don't see it. Like he's got a mic on and, and he claims that he did it because he thought he was going to get screwed maybe. So there is like some truth to the fact that he feels like he was going to get screwed but 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 Earl kind of implies that it wasn't just like a feeling. He knew what was going to happen. He goes like, "Why would you let someone put their finisher on you if you thought? Why would you let someone put your own finisher on you if you thought there was a chance they were going to screw you over at some point? Like, why yeah. would you have done these things?" He says that like you know Brett. He claimed from what he said, he's like the whole Brett spelling WCW on camera. Like, why would you have left the camera on Brett? They would have cut away if they saw. They cut away the second they saw that. Yeah. Like, um, God, we're all a bunch of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I, I, it's, 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 I, I wonder if you know if he's actually right. I've always wondered that, and I will probably never. Brett's never going to admit to it, but I've always wondered that. That is, but what is Earl, what is Earl really gaining out of all this? Either by it's not like he wrote a book and had it in the book, and it was he's making money off it or anything, right? Or, nope, this is just strictly because of the thing that he saw, uh, because of that documentary kind of talking about it. Because I think Jim Cornette says it was partly his idea in, in the documentary, so it kind of became like a thing this week. But also, like, I have heard that Earl Hebner does like to just kind of like say things for shock value a little bit. So Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. That's, I mean, no, it's very believable that like, I wouldn't. It's pro wrestling that it that makes it go down as one of the greatest angles to ever. I mean, if they the way they played that out, that's they made a lot of money in all that too. Oh yeah, they all they definitely all made. A, they, everyone involved in that came out ahead. Even Bret Hart, yeah, he got a ton of money from WCW, even though it ended up being the downfall of his career or whatever. Like he still made tons of money from WCW. Yeah. So. Wow, they did that whole DVD with Bret and Sean too. No, have you watched this uh, Dark Side of the Ring series? No, at I haven't all? seen that. No, really good, dude. Is you it? should watch it. It's I will. Really, really good. It's a, uh, it's one of these things where it, it's a series. So it, each week is a different topic. Okay. And so the first one was Brett. Or sorry, the first one was Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Um, this one was with the Montreal Screwjob. But there's also a Brody, uh, a Bruiser Brody one, uh, the Von Erics. Gino Hernandez and Fabulous Moolah oh, wow. episodes. Yeah. Oh, so they're really good. You should DVR it because there's still a bunch more. They've only done two episodes that have aired. Okay. Um, I watched them because they gave me like advanced copies. So I yeah. got to watch every episode already. They're amazing. Like honestly, it's crazy because it's it's nice to it's it's good because it's it's very informative. 
Yes. But it doesn't pull any punches either. But it but it's told from a place of love. Like you can tell, even though these are like negative topics they're tackling, this is like made by lifelong wrestling fans, and it's like they're well done. It's well done. Like it's truthful, and, but also like done with heart and you, it's really really well done like i i can't recommend them enough i'll check those out i'm actually reading vader i'm interviewing jesse white coming up here later on on the show i'm reading his vader time book right now and he's a lot of stories man about brody in there and stan hansen and i always love reading i've read i, I have upstairs in my office all the old wrestling books or by all the wrestlers i've read them all there's only a few i haven't read and uh they sent me this though and it's awesome. It's a great book. I highly, it's, I recommend it to any wrestling fan. But I like That's old awesome. stories like oh, that of those old timers, man. And if you like old timer stories, yeah. this is like perfect for you. And the, honestly, the Bruiser Brody story, the Bruiser Brody one is already on YouTube, just to give you like a taste of it. Okay. Because that really, I feel like more your speed if you like cool, like or just like crazy old timer stories. Yeah. Because basically, it's like this dude got stabbed. Yeah. And, and Tony Atlas. Uh, and um, uh, what's, his, oh, what's his name? Uh, Dutch Mantel saw him get stabbed. Yeah. And they both are in this doc. Well, Tony Atlas is in this documentary literally saying, like, I told the police I saw that guy stab him. It's another wrestler. Yeah. I saw that wrestler stab him and he killed him. And they go, well, no, no, no. Everyone else here in the locker room told us that he got stabbed outside by a fan and then came in and was bleeding and then he died. And he's like, I watched it. It was that guy Holy. sitting there. And and he goes, I will, on the record, talk to the police about it. And because the wrestler he was pointing to was like the baby face and, and on TV, Brody had like stomped on his head and like busted his eye or something. They thought like, well, he deserved it. it, was, it yeah. Almost, like, he deserved it because it's he beat crazy. baby face up. And so they allowed it just to get swept under the rug that this wrestler stabbed another man to death. Like in real life, like not in wrestling. Yeah. But because they thought wrestling was real in Puerto Rico, basically, they just rolled with it and like allowed this to happen. And it, it's the craziest story. It's nuts. Like yeah. you as a wrestler, you'll trip on this one because you're like the cops allowed this man to get stabbed because they thought wrestling was real yeah no it's dude the stories in the vader vader just walked into the locker room one day and was face to face with brody like having a stare off and he got that's how he started his wrestling career he just walked in he walked into the locker room and he was like, i want to be a pro rep and like it, it's i just listened to, i'm just like it was it's crazy how the the, the way and like kurt henning trying to stir up in the background and like oh it's hilarious. i love just hearing all this stuff on how these it's a it was a whole different era of of pro wrestling so it's unbelievable when you see this my girlfriend who started watching wrestling with me the one thing that she, she can never get past is sitting in people's suitcases and food and Dude, stuff back yeah, in the day that is I would tell her that, and she goes that didn't happen and then like there's a shot of like <laughs> like a recreation in the Macho Man where you see like uh like one of the wrestlers hunched over like taking a dump in someone's luggage yeah. or whatever. She was like, "That really happened." I'm like, "I've told you this." It's crazy. I can't even imagine it, man. It's a completely <laughs> different day and age. And imagine uh, how mad you would have been if someone had. Oh, I would have been stabbed in the bathroom. <laughs> no doubt. I would have been. I would have been dead early. I, my my temper with the people start doing that. I don't. I would have fought with everyone and been dead. Not even. <laughs> The one that never even existed. 
Yeah, like you love Kurt Hennig, but you never would have wanted to be in the locker room. With but, him. <laughs> no, like, but I see, like, I, I always wonder that, like, their humor, like, how, because they seem like Curtis Axel is such a good per- human being. And that was, like, and I could see, like, I was like, it always seemed so harmless, like Owen stuff. It seemed harmless, but like, I was like, was it harmless? Because, <laughs> like, there, there's different levels to this stuff, and, like, it's. Because, but they were such like lovable, likable guys, so they didn't get mad. But I'm talking about some of like the, you know, stuff that's it, there's you can't let that fly. No, no, I'll hear Bruce Pritchard talk about like piss or like related stories. I just would have started punching everyone. I wouldn't yeah, have even have cared. Like, Ask questions later. What if they did that to me? I'd kill them. Yeah. Like, what the hell? I wouldn't have made it in that era. I would not have made it, Ryan. I would have been dead. <laughs> that very early somebody would have shot me in the face or something it's <laughs> dark side of the ring ryback <laughs> the rise and fall of ryback the rise in the, and in fall the 80s of- i should just create a whole story of me dying in the 80s <laughs> but i feel like skip sheffield is more of an 80s wrestler than ryback you know yeah no that's <laughs> skip sheffield would have been the, would have been great for that comedy role yeah, totally. Definitely. I would have hey. taken it. Sell some merchandise and yep, yep, yep. And hey, I I was a Skip Sheffield mark back in the day. So I He was yeah. Skip Sheffield had a hell of a run in the Florida territory, Ryan. He was Dusty <laughs> Rhodes booked me very well down there and it was it, 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 that's what got me called up, but unfortunately the, the booking didn't stay the same for old Skippy once he got to the main roster. Vince didn't treat Skippy with the same love that Dusty did. No, and he also said, like on week two or three, after I just debuted as Skip Sheffield, he's uh, you're not going to do this character anymore. I'm literally he's by the ring. I'm in the ring. I go okay. He goes, you're going to make me millions of dollars being yourself. Just don't do it all right away. Kind of ditch the hat and start losing the character. I didn't know what to do at that point. <laughs> I was just like, I just spent my entire. If you watch NXT season one, you'll see. Up how me trying to figure out who I am during the show. Like, I go from a cowboy hat and vest to wearing a spiked, my old Ryback Terminator vest yeah. and no hat. It's because I'm trying to figure out an identity as Skip Sheffield of me going back to being a serious wrestler, but I'm still Skip Sheffield. And I, and I was like, well, do I talk serious but still talk like this college station hick? Like, what do I, or do I just start talking in my normal voice? Nobody giving me any guidance, anything, just lost. lost. Until Nexus, I was so lost. And then Nexus came and I was like, oh, I'm just an ass kicker now. I could do this all day long. This is easy, but I still have this dopey ass name. And then like it was, then the broken ankle, it was a blessing as far as, oh, okay, I can just keep doing this. Now I'm Ryback without the Terminator stuff. It was like the perfect storm, but. That's crazy because I, that's funny. I loved, I, I. In all, it's all cards on the table. I love to skip Sheffield. Wade I Barrett's all... dad. I was his favorite. Me, Kofi Kingston, and Razor Ramon are, are Wade Barrett's dad's favorite wrestlers to this day. <laughs> yeah, and I, I always wondered why it like was it changed so quickly, like when all that was going on. So that's that's good to know. Like I, and that has to be such a mind. Oh, like, dude, it was right as you debut to like, you thought this character's like so over, like they wanted you up there. And then like, it's like Vince taking you aside and being like this. Sucks. No idea who I was. Didn't know anything about the character. Had nothing to do with me getting called up. Just probably saw my body. and like, Yeah, let's get him up here. Yeah. <laughs> ah, get that body up here. Bring me that meat. That meat. Meat on the table. Oh, <laughs> so meaty, juicy. Oh. 
Yeah. Oh, that's great. What do we what do we want to call his theme song, boss? Meat on the table. It's like <laughs> Oh, I love it. All right, well, on that right, note, I got to start heading out to 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 eat the meat on the table at my Passover dinner. So, All right. Uh, Anything you want to plug? Just uh, check out prowrestlingsheet.com. That's where you can find all the top stories throughout the week in the world of professional wrestling at Wrestling Sheet on social media. YouTube.com slash C slash Wrestling Sheet. That's where I do Raw and SmackDown recaps with my co-host John Roca. That's where I do Wrestling Sheet Radio every week with Jamie Iovine and Elijah Bates. And you can listen to the audio of it on pretty much every podcast platform. Just search Wrestling Sheet Radio. Good deal. Thank you, Ryan, very much. Have a great Easter weekend here. And guys, we'll be right back with Jesse White. After these messages, the Stanley Cup playoffs are underway in the NHL, and my team, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, I believe we're going to go all the way. Last year, we didn't quite finish it, but this year, I have no doubt that the Las Vegas Golden Knights are going to win the Stanley Cup championship. I'm so confident. I'm not even a betting man, but I'm so confident in my Las Vegas Golden Knights, I'm willing to place a wager. Well, big guy, where are you going to go place a wager on the Las Vegas Golden Knights? That's easy, big guy. There's only one place to start, and that's betonline.ag. Betonline.ag is the one place to get in on all this action. Grab the odds and allow the experts at betonline.ag to do the heavy lifting for you. Sports, live betting, virtual casino, you name it. Betonline.ag is CLNS Media's preferred sports book online. If you're feeling lucky and would like to support our podcast, go to clnsmedia.com slash Ryback and use your promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we are back, and I'm very excited here. Uh, We have Jesse White with us, the son of Vader. Here I got the Vader Time book, the story of a modern-day gladiator. And uh, Jesse, I really thank you for for joining Conversation with the Big Guy. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? I'm good. uh, Staying busy. How's everything? Ah, living life in Vegas out here and uh, running the the supplement line with Feed Me More Nutrition and uh, this podcast and doing some investing and trying to uh, get healthy and uh and get my body back on track but it's the best i've been in years and uh the one cool thing i tell everybody uh really cool thing about having a podcast is it gets me away from my phone and allows just to have real conversation with people and especially people different people in wrestling and health and fitness and um just all different avenues um it's just really good just to talk and and to learn that's like I, i love learning so um I'm really grateful that you actually sent me the, the Vader Time. It's Vader Time book, and uh, I, I'm I'm well into it here, and it's um it's something I really. And if you're a wrestling fan, I think ever you need to check this book out. It is, uh, and I grew up lo- loving Vader, and uh, and getting to know the real person. To me, that's always the most interesting thing: the people that make up these characters and whatnot. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on to to talk about talk about your father and. Um, he, he was incredible. Absolutely, man. And I really appreciate you having me. Um, this is actually the uh, the third po- first podcast of many, so uh, I really, really appreciate it. It means a lot to me, man. No, Definitely. absolutely. And just so everybody, and we'll, we'll get to it at the end too, but the It's Vader Time book, it's available for pre-order now. Is that correct? Yeah, pre-order. And I actually got the shipment of books today. Um, oh, wow. This morning. 
So they're sitting here in my garage, and uh, I'm going to be fulfilling these orders uh, probably the end of next week. So I'll be shipping out all the books myself. Good deal. And where can people get this book at if they want to? www.vadertime.com. Good deal. We got, uh, we got some merch. We got books. Uh, then there's a little autobiography, kind of a athletic resume going into uh, his, his just athletic career in general. Um, but yeah, vadertime.com. Awesome. And you know, I think a lot of people too, for, for our listeners out there, you, you were signed to WWE. Uh, was it under in the, was it FCW at the time, Florida championship wrestling? So yeah, I was in the developmental, uh, program FCW. And then I was at the very beginning. Like I literally helped build the rings that are out in Orlando. So, um, I was in the FCW to NXT transition. Oh, wow. That, that I, era. Yeah. I was going to ask that with you on what, what is it like? Cause for me, I was, just FCW and it was Dr. Tom and Norman and it was, um, and Steve the Kern and it the was, uh, boys. and then as I got my ankle injury, I was rehabbing down there and I build a mock came in and Ricky steamboat was there a lot more. And Joey Mercury, uh, was there and it, the vibe had changed. Um, and then very, I very know much so. you, and so you were a part of all of that then. Yep, I was a part of, you know, re- referencing the, the good boys, Dr. Tom, and um, and just that little arena in Tampa, man. And all you needed was a ring and a camera, and, and we figured it out. We had the promo class with Dusty, and it yep. was it was fun. You enjoyed walking into work every day. Um, and for us who are passionate about wrestling, um, that, that energy, that positive energy that we would just walk walk into every day, uh, it was fun, right? And then then the transition happened, and I'm not saying wrestling wasn't fun anymore, but it became it became more of a job. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a lot of us get into this business in general um, to avoid because that. we don't want a real job, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, it became uh, very corporate, and um, you know, reports, and and it just the whole energy and and mood changed once we got out to Orlando. But I mean, the facilities that you had out there, man, were were just phenomenal. I understand from just talking to a few people here and there the uh, the new the new staff I guess if you will down there it's, uh, the structures changed. Yeah. Um, I was part of the era where we were just it was kind of a guinea pig if you will we were just kind of seeing what's working and what's not working. Yeah, and developmental and, and from my experience when I was in Deep South wrestling with Bill DeMott, um, it was a very and I, I'm actually writing my book right now and and have talked about all that. I Bill outside of wrestling I I enjoy and I like and he. I very thankful for some of the things he instilled on in me intensity wise and from a physical standpoint, but he, he was a very tough wrestling trainer. He was by far the toughest I ever had. Um, but he, he creates a different atmosphere than any other trainer I've ever seen and not necessarily for the better. Um, and I love bill, but it was, I know exactly the, I know exactly what you guys were going through because I went through it within nobody was being monitored and there were no reports and a lot of things went unreported and, it was. I'm very thankful, though, for some of the lessons I learned in all of that. But I think, too, I saw it from when FCW switched over to NXT. It, it became much more office-controlled, much more... Uh, they, they were just much more hands-on on knowing everything going on, whereas before it was a little more... FCW, things started with, with them They where they had to report things more often and whatnot, but it was still... It was a little more laid back, and where we really hadn't been... It, it was wrestling, but it was still everyone. We had all the guys had really good relationships. There weren't a lot of games going on. It was, it was, it was a really cool, fun environment. And uh, so I know 
that transition you made and when it became NXT. And I, I know now with, you know, with Matt Bloom, Tenzai, who's a great guy, it, it, it's probably a lot different of an environment there. And, and they've evolved that program. It's amazing to see what it's doing now uh, with, the, with the tools that the guys have to be, to be performers and, and to, to, to hone their skills down there, so to speak. Um, it, it's great to see. But what, for you, what was, how did you get in? to FCW, what was, were you wrestling at all before? Or was it something, you know, I want to give this a shot. How did, how did it all come about? Um, you know, wrestling, professional wrestling, wrestling in, in general has always been a part of my life. It's always been something I've been uh, attracted to. I paid attention to for obvious reasons. Right. And I will get into, you know, obviously the, um, early childhood part later on. But, uh, for me, I was actually a football player at the university of Oklahoma. So I was, uh, I was following my dad's footsteps uh, when it came to football. And that was my first love, just that it was my father's first yep. love. Um, and I was at the University of Oklahoma from uh, 2005 to 2010, uh, full scholarship. And I was actually an uh, offensive lineman. Uh, so, uh, How big was, were you during that? My, my heaviest, I was, I was 308. Wow. Uh, that was my heaviest. I played consistently, probably about 290. But my football career actually got cut short. Um, I had a weightlifting injury. Um, that basically when talking to the doctors, uh, we discovered I had early stages of arthritis in my, my left hip mainly. Uh, but the, the diagnosis is slip capital femoral epiphysis. And okay. I'm probably not saying that correctly, but ba <laughs> essentially everyone's hip, if they have a healthy hip, it's shaped like a, uh, it's, it's, it's a round sphere, right? Yep. Mine, unfortunately is very oval shaped. So my range of motion when it comes to my hips it, is not just bad, it's really bad. So that's genetic then, that, that's just correct? Uh, or no? That... It's, it's a mix of both. I, I ended up having a weightlifting injury. We were doing box squats to a low box, couldn't hit it, had 15, 315 on my back, and we, we were trying to get really low. Um, and essentially, I just kind of popped in and out, was excruciating, dropped the bar. Um, just basically, I was forced out of my anatomical range, okay. uh, if you will. And uh, that just, I just slowly, not slowly, I, I very quickly started um, just getting in pain and my range of motion just kept getting worse. And I'm like, what is going on? And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to get a spot on the offensive line, right? So just like in wrestling, you start hiding injuries. Yep. And, and man, it just got to a point where I couldn't even get in my stance anymore. We went and took an MRI and discovered this injury. And the doctor says, hey, let's take the rest of the season off, come back spring ball and see what it is. Came back spring ball, man, and I just I wasn't the same athlete anymore. Yeah. So uh, I needed a, a I needed to change a lot of things. So I lost a bunch of weight. I figured that's the best thing. No reason for me to be this big anymore. So I lost a bunch of weight and uh, just became a graduate assistant coach and and helped the uh, the football team out and uh, the, you know was a part of the um, three Big Twelve uh, yeah Big Twelve championships that we won. Uh, we went to a national championship down on the Orange Bowl and lost to Tim Tebow and the Florida Gators, but um, got to experience a lot of cool things. Then after football, man, I, I was getting into the real world, if you will, right? Yep. I was working security at a bar and a personal training and putting together a resume. Trying and to figure it out. Trying to, trying to, you know, just use my contacts from, you know, being a, a graduate from the University of Oklahoma. Um, that's, that's one thing that's about awesome about that program is uh, very well connected. And once you're you're a sooner, you're a sooner for life. And um, 
I, I just kind of was talking to my dad and I was just like, I, I don't, I feel like I still can contribute something to this world athletically. Yep. And, uh, he was like, all right, let's, let's do something. So there was actually in Lawton, Oklahoma, a little, a little federation called IZW that my dad was working at from time to time. He would come down there and do some autograph signings and, and do some shows. And it was, you know, an hour, hour and a half south of me. So I'd go down and get to spend some time with him because I'm at college now and he's still back in Colorado. Um, and uh, so my dad said, hey, you know, let's go down there and get you some training and just, you know, the basics, lock up, bumps, yeah, run the ropes, that type of stuff. And then it was like, OK, it's, it's time to get serious. So I moved back to Colorado um, and was just living at home with mom and, uh, you know, training with my dad and uh, started taking some more serious route to it and then all of a sudden, hey, let, let's go out to Japan. You know, my dad, he was starting a, a Vader Time Promotions uh, out in Japan and uh, started to go out there. And uh, I ended up spending a lot of time uh, in, in the uh, the dojo out there, um, a lot of time with Tuco Scorpio, um, a lot of time with my dad. So I was just kind of getting a, a unique perspective when it came to wrestling, right? Absolutely. And in and, and training. So then... I'm out there just, you know, work, signed, to, uh, signed to my dad's company and, and working other promotions as well. Just whatever work I can get out there. And uh, eventually I got a call from uh, uh, JR and said, hey, you know, we've seen some tape. Want to wanna have you come out to a tryout in Tampa, Florida. And this was uh, FCW at the time. And uh, flew out to Tampa. Uh, ended up doing a tryout and uh, got a call about two weeks later. And they sent me over a contract. And then the rest is history. Packed up my things and moved down to Tampa. Man, what did you? So what would what did your weight get down to now at this point? Uh, during my tryout, I was probably about two twenty, two twenty five. That's a lot of weight to lose being that big. I, I for for me, I stay two ninety, two ninety five. When my lightest I've ever been here, like, and I've tried is I'll get into the two seventies. But like, it, and it's that how how did you lose all that weight? So my lightest actually, so I, I, I'm pretty sure you remember, but I was going through my first uh, ACL injury surgery and you were, you and I were actually going through rehab together in yeah. Tampa, right? And that's where you and I, you know, we would talk uh, occasionally if our, if our rehab times worked out. But the lightest I got to was to 209 and I was 9% body fat. Wow. Um, that was the best I ever got coming all the way from 308. So I essentially lost just over 100 pounds. Um for me, when I first started losing weight is I did it in stages, right? I, I was a very strong individual in the weight room. Yep. Um, I mean, I did 315, 16 times. I broke a freshman record at the University of Oklahoma, uh, 365, 12 times. And this is on bench press. Yeah. Um, and I was just very upper body, extremely strong, lower body. I was strong. Um, never did any max out or any, you know. That doesn't shock me. <laughs> that Vader's son is is, is freakishly strong. <laughs> yeah, and he he puts my strength to shame, man. Uh, I'll tell you what. And athletically, he uh, yeah, athletically, man. There's I've been around a lot of top athletes, Adrian Peterson, Demarco Murray, um, you know, won NFL, and my da my dad's definitely the top five of uh, people I was around athletically. So you know, true story too. And before we we continue with this, I remember when your dad came back when I uh, I was on in WWE there and. I believe it was 2012 or 13. Yeah, uh, he came back, and I believe he wrestled Heath Slater. That raw thousand. Yeah, the raw thousand. And uh, I don't, I don't believe I'd ever met your father before then. I just remember he was just incredibly nice. 
but I was all I was all geared up and uh, waiting for to do my thing for the show. But I remember seeing him. I could t- see he was really excited, like it was to to be back. But I remember looking over and he was warming up. He was doing the splits, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, like, whoa, that yeah. I just was beyond impressed <laughs> that I was. <laughs> it was, but he warmed up for a really long time. But that's just something that always stuck in my head. I remember just, I was like, man, that's incredible. The, uh, so it doesn't shock me when you say that. Cause, and I got that from reading the book. You could, he, he was just a freak specimen and just athletically from the moment he, he was just yeah. born big and just freakishly athletic. I think his prime, uh, and this was when we were over in Europe, uh, which again, we'll get to later, but the world record for bench press was like 680, 690. And my dad did 640 bench press in a, in a, um, uh, Audubon's kind of hosted a bunch of shows, phone books. They ripped phone books, uh, phone, phone, yeah, phone books. They would rip them. And, you know, my dad was like, I'll, I'll do a bench press type thing. And I, I think he bench pressed 640 was the most he ever did. Man. Um, I know 405, 19 times. Um, I saw him push press 405 behind the back. Uh, it was like eight to ten times. Um, just, just wow. always very, uh, very, very strong when it came to the weight room. No, they don't. They don't make pro wrestlers like they used to. <laughs> that is for sure. It is. It is right? a completely different time. When you lost all that weight, did so? Did your hips and everything? No more problems with that, essentially. Um, so it's a bone deformity. It's it's something I'm gonna have for the rest of my life for okay. sure. Uh, when I, when I was losing the weight, uh, back to the original question for me. I didn't just lose all the weight at once. I would do it in stages because uh-huh. my dad was like, keep keep your strength. You know, you, you busted busted your butt for that. So yep. don't lose that, right? That's that's who you are. Yeah. So I would, you know, I went from 300 down to 275 and then put on like another 5, 10 pounds. And then I would do that again, you know, 250 back to 260. Um, and I just kept kind of going up and down like that. Um, and this happened over a course of about four years. Okay. I mean, this wasn't something I just dropped yeah. in, in a year or anything like that. This was a three, four year thing. Um, my roommate, um, he was, you know, a fullback for uh, the University of Oklahoma. He was big into weightlifting, Matt Clapp. So I'd work out with him all the time. Um, and just, you know, and you can only get so much done in the weight room by yourself. But when you have a workout buddy who's into it as much as you are, you get you get that much more done, Absolutely. and uh, he he's the, always the one that was just like no strength strength strength. So it kept me uh, lifting around, uh, staying around lifting heavy weights, which uh, very thankful for. But it was a, it was a two three year process for sure. Did 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 your father warn you about anything going into the wrestling business? Did he give you any advice when you started? Um, you know, there wasn't many warnings uh, that he had to give me that I didn't already know. No, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah you've been around it. Um, but of, of course, always giving me advice. I mean, um, when it came to life, my father just, he, he wasn't only, you know, uh, uh, one of my best friends, he, he was my father, but he was also my coach in every aspect of my life. So yeah. when it came to football, weightlifting, business, relationships, friendships, professional wrestling, always giving me his, his best advice that he possibly could give. So yeah, absolutely. Um, but you know, uh, specifically once once I got to FCW, it was uh, you know show up early, be the last one to leave, outwork everyone in the room, that that type of mentality, yeah. um, and and always pay attention to the little things. Um, yep. And that my, that was one of my dad's uh, biggest sayings: is little things. And going back to the stretching, a lot of people don't like to stretch; it's their their least favorite part. Yeah. 
And for me, it's my least favorite part. <laughs> I'm one of them. Yeah. And um, my dad, you know, just always pay attention to the little things and everything you do. No, that that's great advice. And that the stretching is it's something I, I do a lot of it. And as I've gotten older, I do more and more and more. And it, it has helped tremendously. Yeah, with that. that's, uh, that's something I've adapted my training to a lot more uh, functional functional movements instead of just kind of like a bodybuilding power. Yeah, it's a balance yeah. in the core strength. Yeah. It's so important. And I think we're really finding and you see a lot of these people with their core strength and there's extremes on both ends. I think finding a, a happy balance, but definitely having a strong core, I think is, is something, especially for helping with injuries and everything as we get older. But with your dad, that is one thing I know from reading the book is that he take, that was something to me, was his proudest achievement was having you. And it's cool to see, because I think a lot of people don't have great relationships with their parents and, and whatnot, that, that, that Vader and, and who he was as a wrestler, that he had such a great relationship with you. And you could see it throughout the book at different things on, on how close you guys were. And, and it's just, it's really cool to see. Cause I think that's very, to me, that's very telling of the, of the type of human being that he was. And I think that's really important for people to understand with all of that. But when you were in um, FCW, did you have any guys that you really clicked with? Because I always kind of found, like you just mentioned, like me, I knew when I met you right away, I could just see, you could just tell when somebody's a good human being. And it was, I always kind of, I remember like like Bo and uh, Wyndham, Rotundo, Bray Wyatt, like I always, like I clicked with them really well because I could just tell they were just raised, they were just good human beings. And uh, I found that with a lot of the, 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 the second or third generation guys, they're all, a lot of them are. It's, I tend to get along with all those guys. Did you have guys down there that 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 you were you were closer with than others? Yeah, absolutely, man. And it, it kind of went in stages. Um, so the the contract or the the tryout that I got signed off of, um, Big Cass also got signed off. Uh, now Juice Robinson over in uh, in New Japan yep. killing it. Um, Tennille, um, she she was signed out of it as well. And I think there was one more, and I'm going blank on them. Um, so obviously first person I, I connected with was juice, uh, him and I, uh, stayed in touch after the tryout. He, he won the scholarship, uh, attending the tryout. So he was the winner of the scholarship because the way the tryout worked is, you know, they had one male and one female and, uh, he won the male, male version of that. Um, but him and I ended up moving in together. He, he, you know, drove down with his dad from Chicago. He got there about two, three weeks before me. We ended up moving into a bedroom, uh, into a two-bedroom apartment. He was, uh, he was my roommate, so I immediately connected with him, and then uh, Big Cass as well. Um, those are the two people I, I was connected to first. Um, but pretty quickly, I, I was. It was my second match there. Um, I was wrestling Leo Kruger, at the time, a yes. uh, good brother as well, and uh, tore my ACL in the middle of a comeback, man. Ugh. Uh, yeah, out of the blue. Um, Never had any knee injuries growing up, you know, knock on wood. I don't have any more, yeah. <laughs> even though I've had a couple surgeries on, on my left knee, but um, tore my ACL. And then it was, hey, sit back, focus on your knee. And my dad's advice at the time is like, keep your mouth shut, eyes and ears open, man. Just just absorb as much as you can. Yep. See see what people are doing right, et cetera. So that's what I did. Um, now just come to the shows, observe. From you know gorilla position to the producers to the actual wrestlers in the ring to how they were warming up and just just took, taking in as many mental notes as I possibly could, and then 
I, I actually pitched Corey Graves the idea. I was like, Hey, Hey boss, like, you know, if you're not in anything, when I come back, do you, do you want to try, uh, try pitching a, a tag team together? And he was like, yeah, why not? Um, and him and I actually ended up, uh, winning the CW tag, tag champs. We okay. were the last, last people to have them. Uh, cause ob- uh, everything, uh, transitioned over to, uh, NXT. the NXT yeah. brand, but, um, we were the last people to have them. And, uh, we beat Bo and Wyndham for that. Um, so Corey Graves, this is this is what my car became. Um, Corey Graves, Juice, Dean Ambrose, and Seth Rollins. And that's a hell just, of a car. Exactly, man. And for me, it was I was the greenest one out, out of all of them. Um, I had a different perspective because you know I was the son of Vader, and yeah. I have different stories that they had. And but just just keeping keeping my mouth shut man and just listening to just dean and and seth talk every day and then graves you know being able to partner with him and and kind of him take me under my wing it was that that became my car very quickly but once we transitioned obviously the shield got called up right yeah. and then they split me and graves up once the nxt brand started and uh then my car became um big cast still juice um uh, Big Cass and um, Enzo Amore. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Enzo was a uh, he was an entertaining dude to have around. He was he was uh, he was always putting smiles on your face. As much uh, stupid things as he did, man, it was uh, he was just he was a fun person to be around. <laughs> He's quite so, the character. And this was the time when things became um, not so fun anymore, right? So you yeah. were always kind of drawn laugh. to people that were going to pop you, and, and uh, yep. combination between. Um, Big Cass, Enzo, and Juice uh, definitely got a lot of pops. Now that's with with you with everything there. Was the injury when when eventually when you parted ways with WWE? Do you think the injuries did that have a, was that a reason given or was it not? Was it just because I've I've been released from developmental before and I was really wasn't really given anything as far as I think I remember I think it was like oh we'll create it but we don't have anything for you but. Uh, do you know, was it more of that you, you had the injury or do you know, do you know anything about that? You know, I, I don't know specifics answers. I can give you my, my two cents on kind of what was happening. Um, I, I had the knee injury, had the knee surgery, 16 weeks into rehab. I ended up having to go back in and do another surgery uh, because rehab just wasn't going, going at well. Yep. Um, range of motion. I would get it by the end of rehab, by the end of PT. And then 20 minutes later, my knee would just swell back up to like a balloon and, and it just rehab wasn't going good. So they flew me out to Alabama. I ended up having to have another knee surgery, literally pulled back up to the airport, ended up getting a call saying, hey, you got to come, you got to turn back around. Like we, we, we just looked at your MRI. It's not good. We got to have another surgery. Oh my God. So I prepped for surgery that night, went and had surgery the next day, spent about three, four days there, flew back to Tampa and started rehab all over again. So I spent a lot of time on on the the shelf, if you will, early on in the career. Um, Were you rehabbing with Matt Smith at the time? uh, No, I was. I yeah, right. Um, I was. He had. I would got hired, and then literally about a month later, he um, he was gone. Yeah. So when I first had my like the injury happened, he was just out the door, maybe two weeks prior. So we kind of didn't have anyone. Oh, yeah. It was a different time back then. Right? We yeah. didn't have anyone for, for a little bit. And um, so, but yeah, no, not him. But um, 
then then I started coming to then you know me and Graves had our run with the the tag titles and then they split us up and then it was a transfer over to NXT and then um where were we it was a, a show in Orlando and I took a big boot from someone landed high up on my neck um and my arm went numb during the match I could move it but I couldn't feel anything yeah. so subconsciously I just got scared cuz you're but you you, you can't there, feel yeah. your arm right but you can move it and you're like what's going on um but you're in, you're in front of I don't know we maybe had 150 people there it wasn't you know but you Just you got to deliver going. right yeah. and as a wrestler goes you don't tell anyone about your injury but the producers everyone I th- believe it was ter- Terry Taylor at the time he as soon as I came back he was like what's wrong I can just see it on your face so I, I eventually told him because it happened again later uh, what was happening was one of my vertebrae in up up top I can't remember which one it was but it would get inflamed and then it would impinge on my arm uh the nerve connected to my arm i had the same so, thing up when wrestling in wwe i lost all my strength in my left arm for almost i had to do neck traction every day for a year that is did you is, end up having a uh, fusion surgery uh, fusion surgery no i didn't my neck okay. everything is completely healed now but i i got dropped on my head by um cena doing his finishing maneuver one night and then i also there was something with seamus where he does that white noise and i yeah. landed it landed me kind of high uh, and it happened in two, like the, the Cena one started it and, uh, and then something with it, or the Seamus one might, I can't remember the order, but I remember after one of them, I started the, the pain. I, I'll never forget it. I was at the gym before a show and I had my hand grips. I would always do my captains of crush hand grips and it was, uh, I started doing them to warm up and I had like one of the easy ones that I would be able to do just a hundred times. Like it was super easy. I couldn't squeeze it in my left hand. And it literally set in overnight from the day before to that that day. And the pain was running from my neck down my left shoulder blade into my arm. And like I remember I tried to do like a lap pull down and I the not even hardly any weight. And it just my hand couldn't hold on to it. And uh you don't they knew about my injury, but uh I just I had to get an air traction device and do traction every night for a year and I got everything back, luckily. Oh, okay. Very lucky on it. Um but I wrestled with it. it was it's scary man I was bro it's yeah really scary <laughs> there's like people don't understand I talk to people up there now that are going through similar things that's one of the things well it's a one it's a very common wrestler problem the bad necks um and it, what happens is you start getting these nerve issues from inflammation or pinching down on the nerves depending on the severity of the issue and uh it like a Daniel Bryan had it where he had to have the surgeries he had he'd lost the strength in his arm for a long time probably still isn't all the way back. And it's, uh, I know people working with numb arms and things that it's very scary. And, uh, I think Jason I, Jordan right now is he's going through his thing right now. Yeah. It's, it, it it's not, you, a lot of people, you, not, he might not ever come back from that. No. It, it doesn't. Yeah. And I, I, like I said, I just did neck traction every day after I'd be tired. I do it every night for 20 minutes to 30 minutes every night, in my hotel bed, no matter how tired I was. Cause I knew if I didn't, that it was going to go the opposite direction, and I, um, it, it was, uh, it wasn't easy. But and I had it, it lasted for longer than that. But it, it's a very common problem in wrestling, and especially that's why I see the style sometimes of things. I'm like, I don't think everyone quite understands that it just takes one little thing, and it will be over. Your life changes. Yeah, and I think, but once experiencing that, it's very scary because it's a very helpless feeling. Nerves and there's you really there's nothing you could do uh, on some of that stuff it's just once it takes over so it's no scary. and 
you know, getting back to your original question. So I went out and saw Dr. Maroon up in Pittsburgh and basically he gave me the diagnosis. He said, but you're not carrying the symptoms of a regular fusion. So he's like, if your symptoms continue, I'm going to have to operate on your neck and have that fusion. Obviously that's life changing type surgeries and some are successful, some are not. And someone who doesn't like being cut on, I, I, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't looking forward to having discussions of, Hey, you need to have this surgery. So um, you know, my wrestling style, I, I was, uh, I was okay with bumping often. And then all of a sudden my wrestling style just kind of changed once I, I started looking at it long-term and then, um, then the, you know, the environment that we, we were in, and then I kind of started getting a bad attitude and then, um, yeah. you know, then it was, okay, we're finally going to do something with you. And, um, so creatively, you know, you're always pitching stuff and majority of it's getting shut down. We're going to do something with you. Yep. And then, Oh, SI joint, SI joint goes out. All right. You know, let's, let's rest two, three weeks. We'll see you next TV. Then all of a sudden, you know, you, you're, you're doing your entrance and you know, uh, Michael Hayes doesn't like it, you know, uh, let's, let's focus on it for another three weeks and, and rebrand it. So then I do that and send the videotapes up and I'm getting great feedback from, from Carano chambers and, 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 you know, Saxton and, and Dusty and everyone, we're loving it. Everyone's excited about it. And then all of a sudden I, I debut it and no one likes it. <laughs> uh, um, so then I got uh, moved to the dark match. And it was actually my last match with WWE was with uh, Matt Bloom Tinsa, um, who's now now the head coach. So wow. um, it just uh, it was a combination of um, bad attitude on my part, being injury prone as well. Um, I, I personally... Um, the passion for wrestling, I, I it, between the injuries and the environment, I, it it was out of me. I didn't enjoy it anymore, right? And it yeah. was just a job. Um, but I'm also representing my father, right? Um, yep. I'm not. I'm representing him, and so I can't just walk in and quit. I've never quit anything in my life. Yeah. But I, I knew I, I was mentally just. It fries you and, that environment. It, I know it's not fun, and that and that during that particular time, I know it probably. I know other guys, and I know what they were going through because I've been through it. And yeah. it was, uh, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's a vicious circle. You just keep putting yourself through it every day, man, hoping something is going to change eventually. And then you see that light and then all of a sudden the door shuts, yep. just, man, what's going on? So, um, I couldn't walk in and, and, uh, quit, um, just cause I was too prideful and I was also, you know, like I said, representing my father, but, uh, it, it was, I, I remember getting the call. I had practice that morning and, um, was lacing up my boots and, uh, they were like, Hey Jesse, can you come down to the office? And everyone kind of knows what that means. Um, and it was a, it was a mutual departure, unfortunately. Now with that, and because I've been released from developmental and it was really tough on me for me at my, that period I was in when I was around 25 for you, was it a hard transition for being out of wrestling or, you know, did you have a, did you have a, a rough patch there at all? Or did, was it, did you kind of just, you know, hit the ground running again and, how was that whole transition for you from leaving WWE? Um, there was a good month and a half where I still stayed in Orlando after I was let go. Okay. Um, and I was sleeping on uh, Big Cass and Enzo's couch. Um, and I was figuring out my next move. Um, obviously had a bunch of contacts from uh, the University of Oklahoma who were here in Dallas, Texas, where I currently reside. Um, and... Hey, you know, if you need a job, let me know. Um, I can introduce you to some people. And then, you know, 
my dad's also, hey, you know, if you if you want to continue this path, obviously I have my contacts on Japan and and we can go that route. And um, I did some soul searching, man, for a very long period. Um, you never say never, right? In this business, yep. um, I always have the itch. I'm, I'm, you know, the passion's back there. I'm not bumping. I'm not, you know, doing anything in regards to wrestling right now. I'm just focused on business and, and health for me and my life. Yeah. Um, Good goals. But uh, right, um, and and that's that's the advice I got from my dad, man. As he said, this is uh, it's a rough road, and um, he said, you know, you've seen it firsthand growing up with me. Said he knows what it's like, you know, time on the road, time away from your family. Yeah. Um, time, time, you know, just, just spent in the gym, dealing with injuries, just everything, man. He said it's, you know, I don't, I don't want this for you. If you want this, I'm gonna do everything I possibly can as a father to make sure you set up for success. But I don't want this life for you, man. And and I think that was a final stamp of like, all right, let's let's go see what the real world's about. Yeah. Right? And um, that's uh. Once, once I got out here to Dallas, man, um, it took me about four weeks, a bunch of job interviews, and um, I'm now a sales manager for a division here over the uh, city of Dallas. That so. is great. It's, I, I love to hear stuff like this. That I think, too, in, in, from what I'm reading the book and seeing you being so close to everything with your father and him mentioning in there that when he looks back at everything and he's extremely proud of everything, that that there was that moment when he was he was doing the business stuff in in the real estate and where he even says you know it, what would my life have been different if I thirty years ago chose to just continue Say on the course. real estate path and I think and if you read this book you can in just seeing the physical struggles and all you know the fifty the fifty something surgeries and just you were there for all of this you experienced all of this you've seen. You've seen the highs of pro wrestling, and you've seen probably the lowest lows firsthand on what it what it can do to to the human body, the human mind. So I think you not having necessarily you've seen that you've been exposed to that. So I think that it's you made the correct decision, and I think that probably was a big reason why the passion necessarily it, it's you've already you you experienced the injuries, and it, I think it, everything happens for a reason. A lot of things and it was for you to maybe choose the path that your father had questioned with his health and everything that if had he gone back and, and done that, you know, would things have been different maybe from, from a life perspective. And I think you're going to get, have an opportunity. You, you don't have to, to do what he did to, to have a, you know, a happy life and, and whatnot. So I think that probably played a little bit of everything too, maybe possibly with how everything played out. Um, with your dad and it, no, and it very, very much did. We had very similar paths, um, yep. from football. Um, uh, my father, you know, being a very successful football player, um, having knee injuries to where his, his football career got ended short, which goes back to my hip injury to then, you know, getting into professional wrestling to having just injuries and injuries and injuries, both very similar. Um, he just continued on one path and, and through his experience, he advised me to jump off that path. And um, I think that was, I think that is yeah. great advice from a father to his son, um, Very much so. for this business and what this is. And I want to get into this, this Vader time book and it's, it's an incredible book and it, the insight in just the stories and early on, um, your dad was one tough. 
guy. And he was growing up, he grew up in, in Compton, California, and he was forced to kind of grow up quickly, I feel. And the, some of the stories, I don't want to reveal anything in the book necessarily, because it's, but it, it just gives you great insight into it just all, for the, the, the perception of what Vader was, you could just see from how he came into the business. Like, I loved the story, the it's he just walked into the locker room is that correct and, and, and i i couldn't stop laughing when i was reading this because it was just it it's cool you don't you don't hear about anything like that. this big badass dude just goes into the, the locker room and he's face to face with bruiser brody <laughs> yeah and Kurt. and so you know actually just before we dive into that actual story i, I want to get this out there um this this book has been four years in the making. Okay, I had that in there. When did he start writing? That's what I actually had that in. I wanted. To... Okay, um, so it was four years in the making. It was about two years before my father made the announcement on on social media that a doctor diagnosed him with two years to live. Yeah. So it was probably 2014. <clears throat> okay, when this book first started, and the author uh, he's also written Sabu's book, which just came out recently. Yep. Um, Beefcake's book, Kenny Casanova, man, I have to give a huge shout out and a huge thank you to him. Um, he's been extremely patient with this whole process and he has a very unique perspective because again, this whole book was done with my dad finished two years ago. Then the diagnosis of, of, um, two years to live and, and the heart complications and everything that, that took a turn, man. And our attention just went elsewhere. And, um, then, you know, after my father had passed away, I get a call from Kenny. He sends me a copy of the book. And, you know, over the next six to eight months, him and I go through it another three times and edit it. So, Kenny, this has been a four-year project to him. Wow. So, from my family to his family, man, I, I want to give a huge shout-out to him. He's been very patient, very uh, understanding of the whole situation. Um, and, and so, that, that uh, I feel, is very important for the people who are listening and understand this book was done with my dad and, and finished with my dad alive. This yeah, no, that's what I get reading it. You can tell it was this is him. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what man, it's I I'm I'm very thankful I I'm I'm getting to read this because there's always a lot to be learned from all of this too. And and but the Kenny Casanova, I think that's so he worked with your father directly on getting this all done? It was done. Yeah. But they but he was they were they had done this and then the heart Everything with the heart came into play and whatnot, and like you say, everything just kind of took. That was your focus for at that during that period, correct? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and then, but you know, getting back to your your original question of, um, how my father entered the business, right? So his NFL career was ended short, and he was kind of just figuring out his own path and got his real estate license and had a couple different business ventures that were having some success and some weren't. And again, he felt he athletically could still contribute yep. to society in some way, shape or form. There was a gentleman in Denver, Colorado, and I'm going blank on his name right now, said you should, you know, give this professional wrestling thing a try. And my dad, you know, at that point he had watched it on TV and, and, you know, seeing Bruiser Brody and, you know, some of these just big men um, do their thing. And uh, they had a show down at the Denver Coliseum. And uh, my dad was a, a big mark for uh, John Wayne, so he got up in his uh, best John yep. Wayne <laughs> outfit, cowboy hat, cowboy boots, some jeans, and a, a tight shirt, and just walked into the locker room. And nowadays, people would lose their mind doing that, right? Imagine what it was like back then. That's and what I. The, this is why I enjoyed this. 80, 83, 
I don't necessarily know when it was, but 83, 84, just, just walking in the locker room. There were a lot and, of big bodies in there too. And the first person that comes up to you, kind of, you know, the alpha of the locker room is this, you know, <laughs> this uh, not so pretty guy named Bruiser Brody and in uh, face to face with you, man. Um, so that, that was how my dad got introduced to the business. And um, he know he, he knew he couldn't look away. He was ready to he was ready to fight him. Um, but then uh, the promoter of uh, AWA was like, no, 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 no. Let's you know, back, calm down, everyone, calm down. I told they recognized him from football, right? The yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Man, no, that and him saying that Kurt Henning was in the background and all the guys kind of coming up, but he didn't want to, he didn't want to look away because he he didn't want he didn't want to back down and show any fear or anything. It's just it's a pretty badass story of Vader's introduction into pro wrestling. And that well, this entire is, this crew. is Leon White, right? He was his bull power at this time. Yeah, right? yeah. This is his bull power. And it, it's it's just like I I love hearing how people get into the business. And the only other guy I remember Titus O'Neil actually walked into FCW. He was living by Batista and Batista said, Just go walk into the school. <laughs> yeah. Titus O'Neill ended up getting a job because he he it was a freak had a you know, he's a six a, six, six seven. Yeah, he's a large athlete. He's just he he just had he has a good he has a great build and he has an intimidating presence and it was enough to get him a job and whatnot. But the back then, man, and I think it's a testament to how tough your father was, is because he had like I, I know with me I was telling you like the cortisone injections with WWE ate away all my cartilage and I I have arthritis and they're trying to grow the cartilage back and it's it's a very painful thing. But he your father had they were giving him cortisone in his patella tendon, right? And yep. That that stuff, I mean, he he had some 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 injuries early on here that yeah. most guys I feel like wouldn't be able to to come back from and he just got he's now he's starting on this huge pro wrestling career. It, it didn't it didn't phase him at all. I just think I think that's incredible. Uh it it definitely phased him. Um, you know, a lot of behind the scenes stuff, a lot yeah. of family stuff. Uh, and, and what you're kind of talking about is, you know, he, Pops was born in Compton, California, born and raised there. Um, just grew up tough, just learned how to fight very quickly. I mean, yep. you know, this is inner city LA and this is when the schools just became integrated, right? Where yep. blacks and whites are joining together. And you can just imagine what it was like that, right? A lot My of tension, I'd imagine at times. Big, big chubby redhead kid. He had red hair down to his shoulders. I'm yeah. sure you've seen some of the yep. the photos in there. Um, he was just a chubby redhead kid and, um, you know, but he could play football and he was just a tough, tough SOB man. And so, you know, the, the, the blacks and the whites, they didn't necessarily get along, but when you were on the football team and you had respect for each other, you did get along. Yeah. Um, and so my dad, he, he was cool with that, but he then became, he was a high school American football player, um, accepted a, a scholarship to the University of Colorado, um, uh, Boulder, Colorado, and uh, he was a two-time All-American there. He was the first offensive lineman to letter at all three positions of the Big Eight. Really? So this was the Big Eight then. So he, he started out at guard. Uh, he played left guard for his first two years. And then they moved him out to tackle. Then he wasn't just tackle, he was strong tackle. So they flip-flopped to left to right, depending on where they were going to run the rock or if they were using it as disguise, um, you know, just strategy-wise. But he was then tackle there. 
um, halfway through the season, got a knee injury uh, just in practice. And then that's when the cortisone shot started. Um, then going into his fifth year, this is something you don't ever do, right, is change positions. And yep. Coach Mack pulled him aside and said, hey, we feel that it would be best for you to move down to center. Um, and this is, again, something you don't do. You, your scout's already looking at you. You already you kind of set in the zone. Now, now, this is, now this is the season where you make your money, not where you start a new position. And especially center, for people who understand offensive line, you got to handle the rock between your legs. Yep. And that's, that's a very hard, that's a very difficult thing to do. Um, and so he, he just said, okay, coach, if it's for the better for the team, I'm going to do what, do what you want. And he went, uh, went down and, and was actually all American that season. So he was all American at his tackle season and then, um, but then got injured and then, um, he was all American, his, his final season at center. Um, and so he's the first offensive lineman in big eight history, uh, to letter at all three positions. Incredible athlete. And I think then. He was actually getting the he and even after this with the cortisone and the and the and the knee injuries, he goes on to the NFL, correct? Yeah, and, and the you know talking about injuries though, yes, he, he went on to the NFL. Um, the the New York Giants were very much interested in taking my dad. I believe it was the number tenth pick or twelfth pick of the first round. Um, they were very very interested in him. Um, one of his teammates, Troy Archer, uh, was a defensive end, went the year before my dad came out and was already up there. And so Troy was talking huge about my dad and, um, you know, so help, help my dad get more eyes on him in, in that aspect. And this is before they had the combine like they do now, the big production of the combine, but it was essentially just a pro day, right? And you were either flown out and did a private workout for the team or they had scouts come to uh, the university and watch you work out. And the way it was done back then is your junior year, you ended up running a 40 yard dash and that was your time. Yep. So you didn't have to run it again in front of them. Well, the giants and, and a few other people specifically asked my dad to run another 40 and he didn't have to. And again, just trying to please everyone. He, uh, he said, okay. And was running, uh, was running his 40, and he blew his patella tendon running his 40-yard dash for the NFL scouts. Ugh. Talk about bad timing, yeah. right? So, uh, and, and there's a forward in there from my my father's uh, very good friend, and he was my high school football coach, Dave Logan. Yep. Um, fun fact about Dave Logan, he's one of, I believe, seven or eight people to, to be drafted in all three sports, basketball, baseball, and NFL. Really? Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, Dave, Dave talked about, uh, had the injuries not happened the way they did, I don't think the professional wrestling world would have ever saw who Leon White was because he would have went on to have eight, 10, 12 year career, uh, playing yeah. offensive line. He, he was that good. No, you could tell in the book it is he's just a freak athlete. It's just mm -hmm. it is incredible strength and speed and quickness and agility. And it's, you know, football's loss was was pro wrestling's gain uh, for sure with this entire thing. But but he was drafted to to the L.A. Rams. Yep, that's uh, my dad's favorite round. team growing up. As an offensive lineman, you know, you have a cast uh, patellar injury, which is essentially career ending back then, yeah. right? And you know, you have a cast basically from your hip down to your your ankle. Um, still gets drafted in the third round by the, the uh, L.A. Rams in 1978 draft. That says a lot about his ability 
for a yeah. team to take a gamble on somebody that with an injury that serious back then, but they saw that much potential and upside with him. That is, it's almost unheard of. Yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, I mean, he was consistently playing about two seventy five, two eighty then, right? And um, I mean, you know, as an offensive lineman, you, you're you're not supposed to be the most athletic people on the field. Blah blah blah. He could do a standing backflip. Yeah, uh, I read that in there. I was so impressed pounds. by that because he is a large man. Yeah. And, and that's what I say, you know, I, I've been around a, a lot of athletic, very athletic people. I've been blessed with that. And my dad is in my top five of all. No, it's, I'm just, it's, he was amazing. He, the, the guy just, they, like I said, they don't make pro wrestlers that are built like that. And it was very, um, but just everything from the persona and the toughness. Uh, and just the agility, and you don't see a lot of guys doing that at that size, if right. any at all, to this day. So it's uh, <laughs> it's incredible. And he gets you don't in... see many many his size in general, right? No, it, it, the, uh, it, the business is smaller in gen- much smaller than than in the past, I believe. And yeah, whatnot. and it's I think guys like that are what drew great appeal to pro wrestling for regular casual people seeing these larger than life. Human beings, I think they are one thing that's kind of, they still exist. I think it, it's definitely not at the rate that it was um, back then. Like I, I, I personally, I, I'm a big fan of, of old school wrestling and what, um, and the styles were different, of course, and it was different times and whatnot, but just the, the, uh, the business being about toughness and uh, the perception of tough, toughness and the uh, going out there and portraying a fight and not an act. Um, I'm always a big fan of that. And that's always kind of what drew me to wrestling, seeing you want to believe the guys that you want are watching are are legitimate tough guys. And uh, your dad was a legitimate tough guy, no doubt. And I wanted to, like, breaking in, he got put right, right, right from the start. He was with, like, guys like Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody. He got thrown into the mix right away, huh? Yeah, um, it's you know let's let's actually take a step back further. So he went up to Minnesota and did his training, right? And he was trained by Brad Riggins and, and a bunch of people up there. And my dad was like, oh, you know, I'm an NFL athlete, and you know, I'm, he's looking at Brad and he's like, yeah, I get he's a you know, I remember this uh, story, yep. Olympic wrestler, etc. And and you know, he's a little smaller like, though, right? Yeah, he's a smaller guy, right? And then so my dad's like, I'm gonna test him out. I'm gonna impress him. And this is probably first week they're there, and. Um, Brad essentially ends up putting my dad's head through the drywall right into the bathroom. It's it's a uh, it's a great story. It uh, is. The the details are, are again are in the book, but it's it's a really good story. So, um, dad dad learned quick that uh, this uh this fake stuff we do, uh, called professional wrestling isn't so fake, right? Because then right from there it was okay. All right, green guy, let's let's uh let's feed you to some some people who are gonna teach you how to sell, quote unquote. And uh, start off with Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. That, that's who he was working programs with at first, as is the uh, bull power, Leon White, his baby face with, uh, um, with a bunch of hair. <laughs> this was before the horns even happened. Yeah, no, that's what, and he, back then getting into the business, it was, you know, just completely different, I feel like, than it is today. And they, you had to earn everything that you got back then. Yeah. And, uh, I think too, and, and like again, I, and for me, this was something I was actually thankful would build him up. Was your dad was a big, strong guy, and uh, when when you're working with other people and you have other people, you you know you're trusting with your life at different times, and he, like your dad says, that he didn't know his own strength early on, and he had it. Something I think it's very 
you have to learn that early on and build him up, put that in me. And I, I would get dropped on my head. I, he would, he would do things to me physically and show me, cause he was a very big, strong guy built. Yeah. And, uh, that it taught me the illusion of, uh, everything being super aggressive and intense, but, um, knowing when to pull back and how to do things safely to make it look like I was really hurting somebody without really hurting someone. Because, uh, when you're as big as, as those guys were back then, man, it, it was, it was, it was definitely, it was a different ball game altogether, but they beat the hell out of each other at times. And the stories in the book, man, just the respect that your father just getting in. Like, I don't think a lot of people would have, uh, had the balls to maybe stick with that come back the next day <laughs> yeah and just right from the get-go it wasn't they didn't make it easy no they him. didn't and and actually uh rob naylor shout out to rob naylor he's the one that pointed this out to me he said you know when you look at the business and the three probably you know stiffest wrestlers of you know the early ages of wrestling stan hansen bruiser brody and, and vader right and uh he said well if anyone has any complaints about uh vader and just how stiff he was look look at who trained him like who not trained him but essentially you know brought him into the business yeah. the first but they are they are training him though in the ring and learning and like that's yeah. what he talks about that in the book that he didn't know any different because he was hitting guys because he was getting knocked out of them all the time <laughs> and back then they didn't it. smarten you up like they do you know until you know Vern pulled him in and had to talk with him a little bit and even then, they're still they put they put him back in there with the guys like Bruiser, and he's just knocking the out of him. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Because back then too, if you don't, you got to give what you get, and otherwise, you're you not going to have the it. respect of the guys, you know. Yeah. So it's, but I think that it that just the legend of Vader just that coming into I think it, I think it's badass, man. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, hearing my dad, you know, and, and just talking about that. Um, uh, there's there's a really cool story about uh, the night I was born, um, and there there's some photos of it. My dad's literally, you know, he's he's the main event, Bruiser Brody. My mom's in labor, 40, 44 hours. I didn't want to come out, um, and uh, he's literally in his gear, man, um, getting ready for for the for the match yeah, in, yep. in the the hospital room. I pop out, he hops in a car, drives down, and and ha is in part of the main event. So. That's a great um, story in the book that that just shows what a that's really like for me too in wanting to talk to you about all this is just to let people see the human that he was, and uh, because I think that's just so important. He was just a great human being, but he was there, and, and you know he was torn because he he needs to get to this match. He's the main event, but he wants to be at the hospital, and and it's like such the timing. I'm just I'm very happy it all worked out. <laughs> on all ends. I laughed on the story when they were weighing you and he, yeah. your dad wanted you to be happier. <laughs> and he always got to be bigger in life, man. And he was pushing down on the scale and they caught him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. It's, uh, God, what a guy. I, <laughs> that, was, I appreciated that story. That's something I would do. Yeah, exactly. Right. And something I would do too. I mean, obviously, I get why we're not supposed to, but of, of course, right? Yep. Uh, you know, growing up in the business, uh, it's always, you know, got to be larger in life, right? So uh, that 6'2 easily turns into 6'3 and a half, and that, that you know, 300 pounds is easily, you know, 325, 350. And Absolutely. then that's just, that's the business that we're in, man. So that's, that's, uh, that's when my dad, right off the get-go, man, pop out, 
and, and trying to make me bigger than what I actually was. Jesse, I want to go ahead if we could, if it's all right, I'm going to take, if we take a quick break real quick. Yeah. And then I want to come back and, and talk about what it was like growing up and uh, in your experience uh, of all of this uh, when we get back after these messages. You've heard us talk about Real Good Foods before on the podcast and just how much I love their Real Good pizzas and enchiladas. Now Real Good Foods also has their new poppers, which are a super low-carb cross between a chicken nugget and a jalapeno popper. All of their foods are low-carb, grain-free, gluten-free, and keto-friendly. Most items have as low as 3 to 4 grams of carbs per serving. From their chicken crust pizza, enchiladas, cauliflower crust pizzas, snack bite pizzas, and poppers, you can't go wrong with anything from Real Good Foods. All items are available at realgoodfoods.com, on Amazon, and in retail locations all over the country, with a store locator on their website. Save 10% with discount code RYBACK off of realgoodfoods.com. Real Good Foods. Feed me more. We are back, and I'm here with Jesse White, and uh, talking about his father, Vader, and uh, growing up, the son of Vader, and I just kind of, what was it like for you and your father? I don't want to, he, he worked in many different places, and I got to get into all that here as I go through the book. And it's, he was gone a lot, though, as any pro wrestler is, I take it, right? No, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, to answer your question, growing up, the son of Vader, uh, it was unique in a sense of growing up in the business. I mean, I, I literally moved to Europe when I was five weeks old because uh, my mother, um, you know, my mother and father are together and I, I just popped out and my dad gets this great opportunity over with Audubon's in Europe and CWA, Cats Wrestling Association, and and needs to, you know, take the next step in his career. And, and my mom essentially packed things up and moves moves across the world, doesn't know anyone. And and we're in Europe, you know, living living in a caravan. Just um, you and your dad. No, me, my dad, and my mom. Okay. Um, and and you know, um, I think one of the the most important things to point out is my 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 father and my mother's relationship, especially early on. My my mother, one of the most important things in any professional wrestling uh, professional wrestler's life that you don't see is is the mother, yep. is the wife behind yes. behind closed doors, and I think that's extremely important. So um, she she was like, yeah, let's do it. I believe in you. You know, let's let's prove everyone wrong. And and so we moved out there, man. And um, so I I was out there. I don't really remember much of it. We moved back when um when I was about three. Um, but but growing up, uh, the the son of Vader, man, it's 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 different in a sense of it wasn't. It, it wasn't like my dad was Sting. It wasn't like he was Ric Flair where he was also, you know, a good guy, bad guy. My dad was always the big, bad monster, right? Yeah. And and for me, it was... That's your hero, though. That's my hero. That's my idol, right? Yep. So when I see him and, and Harley Race, you know, teaming up to to beat, the, you know, the guy, this this pretty boy Sting with a, with a, <laughs> a leather strap, I'm rooting for it. I'm yep. happy about it, right? Yes. And I don't get why everyone, to me, everyone's stupid. They're booing my dad. What, what, why? What's wrong with, because you know, yeah. it's Right? And, and so for me. <laughs> Your dad's um, a great that, guy to you. And you know that it's. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, that that uh, for me was very, um, as I got older and realizing 
I wasn't supposed to be rooting for him. Um, <laughs> that like changed my perspective on everything. But I, I deep down subconsciously, I always root for the bad guy. Joker needs to be standing over Batman every movie. <laughs> you know, Darth Vader needs to win. Yeah. Like that's that's where my mind's at, man. <laughs> Absolutely, I get it. I think you you bring bring up a very good point too. I just want to touch on uh, the mothers uh, in professional wrestling, and because the guys, especially like WWE, they're gone all the time. And um, some heroes, man. I honestly, I wish, I wish WWE would do a show on the on the wives and the kids these superstars, but I don't think, I, I don't know if that necessarily, but I think that would give, like, people need to appreciate um, how much people actually sacrifice in this business. And, and your dad talked about it in the book and that was something for me, I came to a crossroads and injuries played a huge part, but you sacrifice your families, your friends, your loved ones to a great deal for professional wrestling. And everyone gets to that point where you, I think you got to, from a life standpoint, look at it and, and, you know, it's very tough. I, I think, I, and I, I wish more people had respect for it because it's, um, it, for me, for personally, I, I would really, I would love to see WWE or what, you know, I wish there was an off season in wrestling to some degree huh. for a little bit of balance, like other, like other industries and sports. But, and I get it is what it is, and it's always been a certain way. But it's, man, you're gone, and I know for I was five years of my life are a blur of just being on the road nonstop and. A lot of habits get formed, and it, it is it, it is a it, there's no tougher life on my own. No, and, and you know, as as a father, um, you know, my my dad being on the road the way he was, whether it was uh, you know a three week tour, three four week tour in Japan, or if it was just you know a four or five day um, you know trip here in the states, whether it was WCW or WWF, WWE, um, whatever we're supposed to say, but. Uh, he essentially missed half of my childhood, man. He he missed half of my life growing up, and, and that's something that him and I always talked about. Um, Which is awesome, um, I think, by the way, that he had open communication with you like that. Very much so. Yeah. Very, very, very open with reality. A lot I, of people would ignore that. I was not hid from, you know, the, the lice of what it was like to be a pro professional wrestler, right? I was not hid from it. He'd always tell me, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the life on the road, man. And so, uh, being, being gone all the time, um, you know, uh, he was, he was always involved in every decision of my life. Um, and this is kind of more getting introduced to Leon White, you know, yeah. the father, um, the husband, uh, not, not Vader, the character. He's perceived on television as this big bad monster, and in the ring, he he, you had to believe everything. Uh, he he made sure the audience believed everything he did in the ring yep. was, you know, not, I think that was the mystique that kind of brought on to my dad early on uh, in his WCW run was is that it was he was in people's careers, yep. breaking ribs, right? And that's 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 what made Vader Vader. But back home, you know, Leon White, he was a very giving individual. He would not hesitate to give the shirt off of his back for you in any way, shape, or form. He was a very loving individual. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, he grew up in inner city L.A., and he was an alpha, ma alpha male, and his, 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 he had a short fuse. Um, but if you, if you didn't piss him off and he liked you, man, he was do whatever he could for you. Yeah. Um, and so getting back to me, you know, just being a father – he was involved in every aspect of my life when it came to school, when it came to sports. He always made, gave me 
I, I said this when, when I, you know, spoke at my father's funeral. He gave me every advantage any kid in America could ever dream for. And he did this while being on the road. My wow. father accomplished more with me in my, and, and you know, again, this is not taken away from my mom, but we're, we're talking about my father. Here. Yeah. My mom was a very intricate, very, she was the glue for everything. Absolutely. Without the her, importance of, of that kid. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, we're talking about my father. He gave me every advantage any kid in America could ever dream of. And he made sure I was set up for success. He was made sure I was surrounded by coaches um, who knew what they were talking about. Um, I mean, I, I was, a, you know, a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid working out at the University of Colorado. The head strength coach, Doc yeah. Kreese. I don't know if you know that name. Um, Doc Kreese, he was my godfather. And I, I was, you know, I'm, I'm at the University of Colorado, 12 years old, working out with Heisman Trophy winners, first-round draft picks. I'm running sprints with him. And that's because your you dad made saying? sure that you were around good people. He, he's the right on the road people. for three weeks. Yeah. Guess what? Cool. Go, go, go see Doc. He's going to set you up with one of the strength coaches, and they're going to put you through a workout. And, you know, talk about advantages. Um, I, I, I play around with the word silver spoon, right? Oh, you're, you know, you grew up spoiled and all this stuff. You're absolutely right, and I, I did. I grew up spoiled and had – there wasn't many things that I, I wanted that I didn't get, but I had to earn every single one of those things. Absolutely. If my grades were bad, if I wasn't working out, if I got in trouble, all those – advantages, if you will, all those, you know, extra things that I had, unique things that I, I, I had at my fingertips were taken away. Um, so my dad instilled in me early, hey, if you work hard, you, you get rewarded. And uh, so he instilled in me very, very early on what a day, what a, what a hard work, what a day of hard work actually looks like. No, that's, um, and I think that's extremely important to, to instill the work ethic part because it's something and you say, I think we all, people need to be respectful of, everyone comes from different backgrounds and whatnot, but you, you know, you say, you know, you had things, but you also though had to deal with your father being on the road a lot too, which is something the other kid, everyone has their own unique story. And, and it's just good to see that he had open communication with you and instilled some really, really important things in your, in your brain at a young age to help you for just life in general. So I think, I think that's great. No, and I, I carry over a lot of those lessons that I've learned to to every everyday stuff. He no. was, you know, back to early early on in our conversation. You know, he was he was a, you know one of my best friends. He was my father, but he was also my coach in every aspect of my life. Yeah, always teaching me, man, and, and preparing me for life because uh, it's it's not peaches and cream like no. we all want it to be, man. <laughs> no, not at all. I really loved early on because I I love food. And, uh, just your dad, just him talking about like smelling his dad cooking for him and yeah. how he would just, the amount of food he would eat that reminds me of when I was younger, I would just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. But I, and I was always outside running around, thank God. And, uh, and very just, I had to be active and always playing and stuff, but I ate an incredible amount of food. But did you guys, you know, when he was off the road, would you guys go eat? Did he, was that something that was, was that a thing with you guys? as far as kind of bonding over, because I could just tell from reading the book, because I know my love of food, and I feel like he has a love of food too. <laughs> he absolutely did. Um, man, IHOP. Uh, IHOP was probably one of the places we went to the most. Uh, okay, there this is what I was Colorado. looking for. Yeah, definitely <laughs> went to IHOP and had a lot of, uh, a lot of you know, big steak, big, big country omelets. Yep. Big steak omelets, uh, pancakes. Um, and then aside from that, my dad loved um, good Mexican food. 
Um, Same here. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd go so, through. I'll go through bowls of chips and salsa before the meal even gets there. Yep, you're full off chips and sauce before your meal gets yep. there, but you got you got to finish your plate, right? Absolutely, man. He's out. I, I love hearing stuff like that because it's in the book when he's just talking about the, his dad cooking. Man, it's it uh, it brought a smile to my face because it's it's I get it. I get it one hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. For you, was um, it difficult seeing? Dude, I talked. You know, I talked about his injuries early on and just being. The, how incredible it was for him when he was out there performing. You wouldn't have realized it, but was it difficult for you? And did you see as the years went on, as you got older, how the injuries were starting to take their toll? Yeah. Um, I actually remember my father and his father didn't necessarily have the best relationship, right? Um, yeah. And later on in life, my, my dad and him started to rekindle, and we were, you know, in Mesquite, Oklahoma. Um, little small city, uh, south, what is that? Southeast corner of the state. And that's where my, uh, my grandpa would live, was living, uh, Artie, Art, uh, Artie grandpa, or grandpa Artie, excuse okay. me. And, uh, I remember they were just kind of reconnecting and, you know, grandpa Art was, you know, throwing some of your tapes and, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of when my dad was in, in, in WWF, um, and with the shoulder injury, he just wasn't the the prime athlete he was uh i read this part actually in there which and is i get it man the shoulder thing i remember no watching joke. watching the clip with my dad and this is when you know it was 90 this was 93 and now i'm i'm a little bit older now i'm understanding the business and and you know the behind the curtain stuff I'm, yeah. I'm actually picking up on things and understanding what what's the purpose of it and you know good guy bad guy i'm, I'm getting the storytelling aspect of it now right but I remember we're watching a promo and it's my dad and Harley and, and Harley's, you know, standing next to my dad and he's a 300 pound man. Like he's, he's not a small human being in any way, shape or form. Right. And my dad's like dwarfing him and it's just, my dad's a powerhouse. And at this point I'm actually understanding it. And you know, my dad's a shoot 415 at this point pushing, man. you know, weights, uh, in this promo, he's pushing weights left and right. But as I got older, you know, the, the injuries were in terror. I'm not seeing that anymore, right? And and when I was seeing it, I didn't appreciate it. So at this point, I'm watching this promo with my dad, and I look at him. I'm like, wow. Like, I remember looking at him and be like, you were a big SOB, man. He's yeah. like, yeah, absolutely, right? And so now, you know, we're, we're bonding uh, in the gym, working out. And, you know, now this is where I'm starting to push a little bit of weight around, and I'm getting stronger and, you know. He's he's extremely excited for me and uh, but man yeah I, I remember as getting older just that that era of my father where he was just the top dog on top of the mountain slowly started to decline and that was when he left WWE there he went over to back over to Japan correct <laughs> yeah um, he left WWE first person he called was Stan Hansen um, and and got him a, a job at uh, uh, All Japan with Baba Giant Baba. Okay. The, yeah. I'm curious. I always heard, too, and from talking to different people, I don't know if he ever shared with you and if it, it, the ring, the rings. I always heard the rings with the old school, and I know with, with WWF and, and I'm sure with other promotions. Did he ever mention anything about the rings being way harder back then? Because um, I always heard that the rings were not nearly as, as forgiving as they are now. And they're not, now they, I mean, still everything hurts. But it's, yeah, everything hurts, right? it, it's, there's no easy way to, but it's, uh, 
I always heard that the rings back then were were a lot tougher. And the story I always heard was that Vince, actually, when he started getting in the ring and taking some bumps, felt how hard they were and made some changes. I don't know how true that is and whatnot, but I was always curious about that them because they were so he was so large. And just if the rings were any harder than they were now, I was like, man, that that just takes its toll on your body. Right, I, and to be honest, I really don't remember him bringing up anything specific. Um, Which they wouldn't, though, either, because he wouldn't know that's just the wrestling ring. That's just what yeah. it is, yeah, back then. Yeah. The Now, what year after everything did... When did when would you say everything started slowing down wrestling-wise for him? You know, um, so the end of his WCW run uh, and that, that whole departure is... Uh, that's a fun conversation because I, I have a unique perspective of that, um, and it's quite different than uh, Mr. Bischoff's perspective. Uh, but getting into WWF, um, my my dad had an agent uh, by the name of Jack Mills. Okay, was uh, his agent in the NFL's agent in wrestling, and actually um, Baker Mayfield, you know, number one draft pick last year. Uh, his uh, he's also agent for Baker Mayfield, so um, he's he's still you know running and gunning in this game. And he was a very good family friend. Um, he had negotiated my father having shoulder surgery, getting into the WWF, right? So my dad debuts, does the whole, um, uh, it was the Rumble, right? Debuts and that. And then he goes into the Gorilla Monsoon uh, Monday Night Raw spot, right? Yep. And uh, then he was supposed to be suspended for... And whatever, eight eight months, whatever it was, for him enough to have surgery and then recover and get back to Vader, right? Get back in shape. This so is what he actually wanted to, to have the surgery before, right? If he could have been yep. like, Vincent, no, let's debut. You get you some, some get people to know who you are, then we'll come up with an angle, which was the suspension, and give you eight, nine months, whatever it is, to, to rehab and get your shoulder back. Because that was something your dad was adamant about it from I could tell in the book because his shoulder was so bad, right? And he, and he couldn't. He he knew, for a man of that size and that strength, and one thing that he took pride in is he could still go at the 25 minute mark, right, yeah. for a 400 plus pounder. Yep. And he was like, I'm, I can't, I can't provide that to you now, right? And so we're going into WWF and McMahon, the end all be all for you know wrestling at this, at this uh, point in juncture. And he's just like, I I can't bring you my best product. So give me the time. Let me have the surgery, and I will bring you the best product, yep. something that you'll be proud of. Um, and uh, that he ended up having shoulder surgery, and then all of a sudden gets a call and says, hey, we need you back. And my dad's agent um, – How soon? Agreed. It was quick, right? It was, I think, about three months. I Ooh. remember my dad, he was like, I can't even do a push-up. He couldn't even bench press 135. Yeah. Like that's where we were at in the recovery process, right? It takes time. It takes time to heal, and, and again – you know, someone who's, you know, thrown around four, four or five at the end of his workout, 15, 19 times to can't even bench press 135. No. And he's a power wrestler too. That's what exactly. I always say. If people don't that's understand. Yeah. That's why I won't go back until I know I'm able to be myself again, because right. it, it's, I don't, it's, it's not, it's, you gotta, especially too, when you're a power guy and they put you in there with other big guys, cause you're doing power things. And they like to see big guys versus big guys. It's just a very physically demanding role. And it, it is, Knight was reading that. I was like, man, because I've had shoulder surgery. Three months, you are not doing anything. No, and and three months, three, and, and again, don't hold me to exactly to the time, but it, yeah. it was definitely cut in half. Okay. For sure. 
And so comes back early, man. And um, his agent had agreed to it. And uh, that, that obviously created a lot of confrontation uh, amongst them because my dad was not ready. But I had agreed to it. And uh, so here, here's my dad back coming into, you know, WWF. And he's not, he's not where, where he wanted to be mentally, physically, you know, um, wasn't in shape. And he, he didn't put the best product that he wanted forward. And he was at a disadvantage from the very get-go of his WWF run. Yeah, the timing of it just seems with everything. With, I mean, an injury is it really, in this business, something like that, it just, it, when you're not able to, to train at full strength and you, your cardio suffers, everything, it really it mentally wears on you. And, like, it's, I, I feel for the whole thing just because it's, but you want to, you make yourself available and you, and you just, you do what is asked of you and, and go out and just give it your best. But it's, it's a rough, it's a rough existence, man. And it's, did he ever fully recover from the shoulder? Do you know? No, not, not during his run with WWF. Uh-uh. And that was, uh, that was the time when, um, you know, pain pills became very, uh, very, very important on a, a daily routine. Right. Yeah. Um, you wake up in pain, you got to take some pain pills. You yep. got to get to the gym. Well, my shoulder hurts. You know, I gotta, I gotta get through this workout. Um, you know, let me take some pain pills. Yep. Then, you know, Oh, after, after the gym, it's hurting a little bit. Let me take another one. And then, you know, a couple hours later, you got to get up for the show and you know, your knees hurt and your back's hurt and your shoulders hurt and whatever it is. And then, you know, here, here's a few more pain pills. And then after the show, you know, adrenaline comes down, you're in more pain, got a three hour ride. Here's some more pain pills, man. It's it was a vicious cycle, and that's where a lot of the uh, the pain pain pills came into play, man. No, and I think that's important for people to understand, and because I think sometimes you hear people and, and when they get pain pill addictions or they're using them, the the way the business was then, and I've experienced this myself, and we were talking about it. It's <laughs> these guys. We're in so much pain at different points, and like you, you, you can't miss time. You keep going, and it's nobody does starts taking pain pills because they just want to take pain pills. There's always there's a reason yeah. for it, and it and it's you know, and I know being up there too, and it's it's a lonely existence being a pro wrestler. I say it's the loneliest existence in the world. Um, it feels like being in jail, and I love pro wrestling, but like at times when you're in the hotel rooms alone and driving and just airports and but the, those those nights are very lonely too and guys i remember routinely i always kind of your father talks about quitting alcohol and chewing tobacco at the same time and i know uh just how addictive the both of those substances can be as uh and I've, i have experience with both and um at different times and whatnot but i remember you know going to the hotel room and get some beers and, and putting a dip in just to try to numb myself um, because I didn't know what else to do and uh, to try to calm down to go to bed to, to start it all over. But that these there's a lot of habits that come with being on the road, and it, it, it's not an easy existence. But I just I want fans to understand that, especially a lot of the legends and the guys we grew up watching and stuff, it was a different period for them too, and we didn't have the advancements uh, on the medical side of things and and they nobody does just takes pain pills though just to take pain pills it it's the, the pain these guys dealt with was was on a whole other level and the bodies were bigger back then and the abuse i the, the rings you know being harder and whatnot it's just it was i have nothing but respect for all those guys that paved the way 
for us. <laughs> and, and it's um, it's just interesting to hear your perspective on it and seeing all that behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, it, and it comes with, it's a double-edged sword, you know. Um, for example, um, I'm a little kid. Dad's been on the road for a little while, and I have a, a wrestling tournament, you know, or a basketball game. And, you know, my dad being being my coach in every aspect of my life, you know, I want him to come see, put in, come watch the hard work I've been putting in, right? I'm going to have Absolutely. a good game. My dad's showing up, right? <clears throat> I'm going to have a good wrestling match, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, to where, and this is the time when he was kind of on Born Meets World, so he's on television two, three times a day, right? Um, and all of a sudden, we're, we're you know, I, it's it's halftime, and my dad, we have to run my dad back out to the car, or we have to hide my dad in the bathroom because he has a line of like a hundred kids wanting autographs. Man. And so I'm getting pissed off because I'm like, hey, he's here to watch me, guys. Like, don't, you know, get get out of here. But then, you know, my dad has to be who he is, right? Yeah. And and he has to sign autographs for these kids, and and man, it's it's not always peaches and cream. No. It's not as pretty as you think it is, man. It's so it has its pros and it has its cons and 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 sometimes the cons outweigh the pros um and you know, growing up in this business. No, you want to just be able to that's what I wish sometimes with and it's obviously different with kids and when they see somebody like they, you know, from TV and whatnot, but you just want to be able to have spend quality time with your dad and you know, but he's also Vader and yeah. the way people are and and you know, it, it's tough. I get it. It's how did the boy meets world? You mentioned that. What what came about? How did that all come about? And what that would be a pretty cool experience, I imagine. <laughs> so it was, it was really cool, man. Um, I don't remember how many how many uh, spots he did on there. I want to say probably about five. But my dad played the role of Frankie <laughs> on the show, and um, so one of the the writers of the television show. Uh, and I'm going blank on his name, but after my father had passed away, he had reached out to to me through my father's social media because, you know, I, I'm, I'm running all my father's social media accounts, still keeping his legacy alive. And I remember him reaching out to me and uh, I got on the phone, talked to him, but he was just a big fan of professional wrestling and a big fan of Vader and wanted to put him on the show. Um, so that that's essentially how that came about. And it started in WCW and then ended in WWF. Um, but while my dad was in WWF, uh, they were filming an episode called 16 Candles to paying his 16th birthday. And essentially the, 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 the episodes about Corey having to spend time with Frankie and help out his dad. Cause Frankie's trying to, you know, have a better relationship with his, you know, on, on, on camera dad being my father and then also being there for to paying his 16th birthday. And it's just, it's a funny episode, but I got to be there during the whole time of filming it. And, uh, this is in Anaheim and, uh, yeah, man, I got to watch it. In fact, I actually got a spot on that episode, 16 Candles, to where my, my my dad, of course, got me a spot. But basically, me and my brothers run up to my dad before he goes and wrestles Jake the Snake um, on this episode. And uh, I asked for his autograph, and he barks at me and yells at me. And I turn around, I drop the pen, turn around and run away. You know, it's literally a 15-second little yeah. cameo spot. Uh, but I got a check from Disney. Uh, it was like $95, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, and it absolutely no was. No doubt. But mo more importantly than that, man, um, I got to spend time with uh, my biggest crush being Topanga. I was going to ask uh, you that if you got to spend any time, because <laughs> I, I too had a crush on Topanga, and I was going to ask if she was as pretty in person as what uh, I'm watching growing up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely she was. She was one of the coolest people um, there, man. Uh, 
so they had their homeschooling thing, right? And that was, you know, I'm, I'm missing two, three weeks of school, whatever it was. I can't remember how much it was, but I had, you know, all the schoolwork that needed to still be done while I was on the road. And because I, I didn't just go to a regular normal public school, I went to private school. Yep. Um, Dad made sure, you know, always the best schooling. So I, I did actually have to get some stuff done. And she would come to uh, the, my dad's trailer every day, grab me, and then go. I would go to class with her. And, and, you know, she's way older than me, but I'm thinking it's the coolest thing in the world. I'm, I'm literally yeah. in class with Topanga sitting at a desk right next to her. And uh, Hell of a story. I, I remember uh, Xavier Woods, uh, Austin. Uh, man, he, he was, you know, obviously a big fan of uh, Topanga like I was. And I remember telling him that and him just, you know, marking out huge for that. That was, that was, uh, yeah. That I think was, we all had crushes on Topanga fun, right? at some point. Yeah, we all did for sure. Everyone all kind of grew up in that same vicinity. That show, I it was, I think it's awesome. You got to be a part of all of that. That's what a great experience as a kid. The here's probably the coolest coolest story, and it's not in the book, so I, I can go into detail about it. Honey, I shrunk the Honey, I shrunk the kid. You remember that movie? Yes, I okay. big fan so, of that growing up. I got to play on that set, that movie set, as as a kid. Really? And I I want to say we're in Orlando. Okay. <clears throat> And dad's, you know, he's main event, semi-main event, whatever it is. And me and my, uh, my very good buddy, Brett Jackson, he, he would come on the road with us from time to time just because I'm an only child, right? I don't, I don't have any brothers yeah. or sisters. So my mom and, and dad would make sure my friends got to come on a lot of these road trips. And so Brett was one of them. And we're, we're essentially just being little idiots playing on the Honey, I Shark the Set <laughs> kid. Um, great experience. One of the, you know, highlights of my, my childhood. And, um. My mom's like, hey, you know, she starts yelling for us and me and Brett are hiding from my mom because we think it's cool, right? We're, we're at that point in our lives where we're play, playing hide and seek for my mom, but our mom doesn't know it's hide and seek, right? <laughs> and um, my dad, you know, he comes and yells for us and, and you know, we're, we're still not coming. Well, my, my dad has to go, you know, he has to go wrestle, right? So he, he gets two, uh, two, two other wrestlers to come help find my mother, find us. And these wrestlers went by the name of Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Stone Cold uh, Stunning Steve Austin. Wow. <laughs> so, and uh, Stunning Steve Austin is actually the one that found us in this little cave. And uh, that that was, you know, this is before That's they were big time, right? Yeah. This is still WCW. Um, so, uh, I want to say, what, 90, 93? Yeah, had to have been yeah. around that period. Yeah. So, that that's another really cool story. Man, what a... What a just awesome experience being able to. I wish I could have had a story like that. I don't know. I have no stories that are as cool as that. So, <laughs> with um, in going in here after like when I kind of talked about after in leaving the WWE and going over to Japan, and talking about the health deteriorating a little bit of it. He had arthritis really bad as well, right? Everywhere. Yeah. Like throughout throughout his whole body, man. Back, I mean... shoulders, knees, probably. Back, shoulders, elbows, wrists, um, knees. Uh, ended up, you know, having rheumatoid arthritis. Um, it was just excruciating, from what I understand. Yeah, that's uh, what happened my shoulder. It's, it's so, man. It's, it's not fun. And he just having it. He's such a large man. It's just... And, yeah, and so he, health started declining very fast. Um, towards the end of his, uh, you know. Japan run his second Japan run was he taking more time off as well too because I always you know Arn Anderson always said he's like time off as a wrestler's worst enemy and like for me when I left WWE 
and I didn't realize I was hurt, but I didn't realize how bad everything escalated the moment I left. Like, did he, like, is he started kind of working in maybe a different schedule? Did things like really just start adding up? It was to me, I don't remember the first like New Japan run, right? Because I yeah. was so young. Yep. I don't remember that schedule and what it was genuinely like. I remember my dad when, you know, 93, 92, 93 is the first part of wrestling I really remember of my dad. So I remember I'm used to the American schedule, right? Yeah. Here in America, on the road, four or five days, you know, um, home three, four days. That's the schedule I remember. Because WCW to WWF, but then all of a sudden, you know, after his departure from WWF, he goes over and joins All Japan, and so then that whole new schedule, three four weeks on on a, a tour, and then home two three weeks. I that was very different to me. So I don't remember what his schedule like was before, but from what I read, um, my dad was doing New Japan. He was still doing CWA. He was doing some Mexico. Um, uh, and then he was also doing random appearances for WCW. I mean, he was, he was kind of one of the last people that was able to have work multiple territories at the same time, right? He wasn't exclusive with anyone. Yep. Um, and so, you know, as far as getting a, a lesser schedule, I'm going to say yes compared to his first Japan schedule. Okay. Just cause I'm, I'm going to assume, but I don't know. For fact, did now what? Because I mean, in, in the book, and I know he talks about it, it was on a plane ride over to Japan, where he went to go to. I don't know if he took a medication to go to sleep, and but he'd improved his health. I think everything, if I'm not mistaken, in his diet and everything. But he went into was went into a coma for forty days. Was that? Yeah, yeah. So it was actually super scary. We. Trying to remember exactly the year because I was at college. Okay. Um, I was in college, and this is after Noah. Um, this is after All Japan, after Noah, and you know he's not really over present in Japan. And this is when he was first kind of getting his federation started um, over there. Uh, Vader time, you know, promotions, whatever it was called. I don't remember specifically the name, but uh, it's when he very, very first gets started, and. Um, he was going over there with some people that he had met in Oklahoma because he was, you know, coming to Oklahoma working for that federation, IZW and Lawton, uh, doing autographs. And, and there was a couple good, good brothers that he wanted to get some work over in Japan. So he was flying over there with them. And everyone was on a different flight, but all, all going to connect in, you know, Narita at that airport and then yep. uh, go from there. And um, in route, he, my father didn't know it. Just, again, just being a tough SOB. He was diabetic for a couple years and had no idea. Yeah, that's and, crazy. And he's on an airplane and, you know, you're getting, getting it on a long flight and you're going to have a couple drinks. And, and my dad didn't like flying. He kind of got an anxiety. And Same here. He was claustrophobic, as, as a large man is on any plane, yeah. right? <laughs> and he took a couple sleeping pills and had a couple drinks, man, and um, went into a diabetic coma on the plane ride over to Japan. And um, they had him in a hotel room for the couple days and he's coming in and out of it. Again, doesn't know what's going on. They eventually put him in a hospital. And, um, man, he was in a diabetic coma for three, three, four weeks uh, and lost like 70, 80, 80 pounds. That's like what I was going to ask. You said, I remember it was, read to say he lost a bunch of weight in it too. Yeah, and it was. So scary. Yeah, it was. I mean, we were, I was I was afraid I was going to lose my dad over in Japan. There's nothing I could do. You know, I'm, I'm in college. Such a helpless I, feeling. I don't, yeah. 
I can't just, you know, pay, pay money to fly no. over here. Right. Um, my mother and my father had split up at this time. Um, still very good friends, still, you know, in communication, but not living together. And my mom doesn't know what to do and doesn't have a contact over there. Finally, one of the wrestlers, um, that went over there with my dad from Oklahoma ends up contacting me and, you know, we start that communication and, you know, I get my mom involved cause you know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure life out. I don't necessarily know what's the right decision, wrong yeah. decision when it comes to, you know, life circumstances like this. I, I, I don't know. Right. So, um, yeah, man, he finally comes out of it, comes to put him back on a plane, come back here in the States. And, and life was really never the same. He was a diabetic diagnosed. Yeah. figuring stuff out and then um and then and then things got real man that's what he and he talks about too and it's like it's when he realized like father time kind of setting in and these things start happening and i can't even you know begin to um try to understand what he was going through on that i just know for like i said with me and getting a glimpse into old age here and being beyond thankful that this stuff exists, it's um, it's very scary. And and for me, I kind of I realized with the severity of my back and the having nerves into my leg and the atrophy and that I was like I knew I had to stop here this last year because my doctor my doctor told me he goes you need to stop right now and you got to get you got to you're only hurting yourself and I was kind of almost forced to start doing I I, I did other things when I left but. And you hear Rowdy Roddy Piper talk about the disease, and it's a very real thing about wrestlers, and it's really hard to leave wrestling. It's and I fight with this every day still. Do you think that's something like with your father too, just with the addictive lifestyle and like he just and you do it? It's all like I feel like once you're in it long enough, that's all that you know. Even though we all know other things, there's just something very um, appealing. You to can't them. put into words the high you get from yeah. being in in a center of a ring entertaining people and, and you know exactly it's it's unexplainable There's nothing like it in the world my dad did it on a uh, on a world scale right in, the, in Japan, the first time i went to japan man uh dad did the uwfi tournament we had over 300 people just at the baggage claim want autographs and photos with my dad yeah. we had to have security just to get through the airport i'm again eight years old eight ten years old whatever it is I have no idea my dad's a world star like this, right? Yeah. I land and all of a sudden I'm culture shocked. I got, you know, people bowing to me and wanting my autograph just because I'm my dad's You're son. You're just a kid, yeah. What, what, is, what is going on, right? Like, I thought we were just, you know, to me it was like, oh, we're just going to Atlanta, have another show, right? I didn't, I didn't you know, I knew we were going across the world. It was different, but I just thought it was going to be like every other show. Yeah. And all of a sudden, no, we're, you know, I believe the Budokan, it was, you know, in front of whatever, 55 55,000 and my dad's the main event he's winning the the championship and um side story that that was um that was the first and only world title i ever saw him win really? i saw him defend the wcw quite a bit okay never saw him actually win, win it right um but just yeah man it's it's a crazy life it's a crazy high um i don't experiment with drugs so i don't know what other drugs are like man but from what you know, boxers who you stay on too long to wrestlers who, you know, stay on too long. It's a high that you can't get rid of, man. No. And you get used to that lifestyle and you're experiencing that three, four, five times a night. And all of a sudden, it's gone. father of time, the one, the one prick that's undefeated, right? Yep. He, he all of a sudden says, nah, this door's closed and you're, you're fighting him on it, man. And, and so then you hang around too long and then all of a sudden 
you know, in all, in, in all reality, that's probably shortening your life even more. Yeah. Right? No, it's, this is why too, I, and I like, I've learned a lot from, from a lot of different reading and things with people. And I like in, he, being able to have insight into the, their experiences because it's like, I don't, I don't want to have to go through that if I don't have to, but it's, it's just the nature of the business. And it's so, there's just something like, and I think Rowdy Roddy Piper hit the nail on the head with calling it a disease. Cause it, it is, it's, there's something it's that, and, and I think you are spot on. It's that adrenaline rush that you get that high that you get that there's, you can't get that anywhere else in life like that, like in pro wrestling, it, it, it is, um, and to experience it on all the highest levels and, it's a really, really tough thing to have to accept too that it's over or that it, it's the, everything's catching up and you know it the the physical efforts and and the the travel and just everything it takes its toll. We go one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time. Before you know it, twenty years goes by, and those days <laughs> have added up really quickly. And it's because um, I often too I would ask myself, how did I get in this position? And then I'll look, well, oh, I started doing this move eight years ago that was compressing my spine really bad. Right. And it was just one one time a day, four times a week. And then you just start doing the math and I go, okay, that's why I'm how I am right now and, and whatnot. But it's, man, it, it's just seeing all this, I am, it's, I think people just need to understand and appreciate the, the things that pro wrestlers go through and the things that your father went through. When did you, when did the, in, was the heart when he, when he was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, was that kind of out of nowhere? Did you guys see that coming? Uh, that was uh, a blindsided topic. My, my dad had always, you know, gotten EKGs and, and again, he was always prideful of, of a uh, super heavyweight being able to go 25 minutes. Right. Yeah. And so his cardiovascular was something that was always extremely important to him. So, you know, He's always thinking, okay, I'm, I'm doing, you know, 30 minutes on the bike, interval training, you know, blah, blah, blah. I lift weights at a heavy pace and, or at a fast pace, et cetera. And, you know, his, his heart's in good condition in the sense of he can go, right? Yep. My father always did voice on early in life. There's a reason you don't see 350, 380, 400-pound men walking around at 85 years old. Yeah. He knew he was always going to die long, die young, but once once that door opens, man, it's all of a sudden <clears throat> real and it's scary, right? You're not you're never you're ready not for King it. Kong anymore, right? Yeah. You're and and for you're not the alpha anymore, right? Father of time, father We're of time just human, opened the yep. door, man, and he's it's it's coming, and that scared the hell out of my dad. And when that diagnosis came, and I remember him having the conversation with me, I was I was here in Dallas. Um, it was October of 2016 when he announced that on the, on a social media Twitter and, and we talked about whether or not he should announce it. And, um, there was, there was a part of me and a part of my father that didn't believe the diagnosis because of the way it was presented. Yeah. Um, my dad was in the hospital for something else and, um, doctor came in just kind of out of the blue and was like, yeah, Leon, your heart's not good at all. You essentially have two years to live. And I'm in healthcare down here in Dallas and I'm like, dad, like the way that's presented, that's not a protocol by a doctor, right? Yeah. I, I read that story in there, how that doctor, it seems very, uh, <sighs> that he presented it. And, and, you know, my dad talking about it, my dad, 
he wasn't necessarily the easiest patient either, right? <laughs> um, and uh, he was pissing off a lot of the nurses. And uh, I think the doctor was just kind of fed up with how my dad was treating some of the people in there. Because, yeah. you know, he's in the hospital. doesn't want to be it's in the hospital. Place, get out. Yeah. And, you know, the, the bad side of Leon White comes out. The side, you know, a lot of people don't, uh, don't want to see. And that comes out. And I, I think this doctor was just kind of fed up and just bedside manner went, went away and just basically let him know how it was. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, Dad, that, that to me, I don't know if I believe it or not. And he was like, yeah, I don't know if I believe it or not. And I'm like, well, let's, let's get you down here, man. Let's get you down to Dallas. I got a good group of doctors. Let's just, you know, let's get you back on track. He's, he's in Boulder, Colorado, and, you know, he's working out. He's doing some public appearances here and there, you know, autograph signings. But he wasn't, you know, uh, everyone, you know, as, as you get older, your friends, you're not. He doesn't basically, he didn't have a lot of people that he was hanging out with. He had a couple close friends. But aside from that, man, he was just kind of just there. And I'm like, all right, let's get you down here, man. Yeah. Let's get you down to Dallas. Yeah. So it was the day after Christmas. So that, that was announced October, December 26th of 2016. My father and I headed for Dallas, Texas, put him in an apartment down here, and, and we just started started focusing on, on his longevity um, and and working out together, right? And You got to spend a lot of time together, right? Make, it was, I saw my father every day um, for the next year and a half, aside from when he would go do, you know, appearances or... You know, uh, um, you know, uh, I think it was like a ten day, yeah. ten day thing in Japan. He did. I saw my father every day for a year and a half, and um, it was different for him and I. Um, you know, I am my father's son. I am an alpha male, and he raised me to be that way. And I'm, I'm stubborn just like he is. And there was a lot of the times where him and I disagreed, and and we butted heads. And but there was, it was always a, a, a mutual love of a father and son. Yeah. That's that's hard to put into words because I am an only son. <clears throat> Um, so he didn't get to experience that with anyone else. And obviously I didn't get to experience a, a different father. My mom never remarried or did any of that. So it was, he was, you know, he was it for me and I was it for him. So yeah. it was always a, a very deep love, but man, him and I butted heads a lot. Um, cause I'm sitting here and I'm like, look, dad, you want that 20 years? Cool. And, and, and we're sitting here and, you know, we're at this table talking. I'm the only one at this table that's lost a hundred pounds and that's what your goal is. Like you obviously you've been trying to do whatever it is you're doing and it's not working, but it, it's time to not let me take the reins. Like let me, this is, this is it, right? Like yeah. you, you had, you had control of my life and, and you set me up for success. Allow me to repay you that man. And yeah. he would let me do it at times. And then there's other times he wouldn't and he had to do it his way, man. And so we butted heads a lot on that. And, um, but things were good, man. Things were good. We were working out, we were eating healthy for the most part, right? Um, and, and we we lost, I think, a total of like 35, 40 pounds. Got him down to like 360, and we started it. Um, I remember he, he when he went out and did the week, week and a half out at DDP um, uh, in Atlanta. Uh, yep. It was he was like 398. And I think too, you know, you and I think it's important for people to understand. Um, and you talk about how, you know, he's stubborn, he's set in his ways. And in a lot of to the wrestling business, you create, you develop habits over time that are really, really hard to break. Just, um, you got to fight for what's yours in the ring and outside of the ring. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt at all. And I had learned in talking to different doctors, you know, I never heart problems don't run in my family or anything, but I have a couple different genes genetic wise that 
uh, where I'm more at risk for cardiac disease. And I was told by a couple different doctors to test. And I know one of them, they told me, I'm actually going for a nuclear stress test uh, on May, in the beginning of May here. And they're then going to do a coronary artery calcium score to see uh, just how good the blood is actually flowing. But a lot of like, I had to do a stress test and a uh, ultrasound. And like I have athlete's heart, which most guys that work out really hard, their hearts are slightly enlarged. It's yeah. everything else looks great. But I think, and I've learned in, from seeing things that for men, I think it's really important for men in their thirties uh, to get their heart to test it and to, to start the process because it can allow us to correct, hopefully gives us time that if they do find anything like with me, that, that there's dietary changes or supplements or different medications that, you know, could be started uh, to hopefully prevent um, heart problems later on in life. But he caught this very late in the game on all of this, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, it's very late in the game. Um, it just, you know, obviously being a large man, um, you know, you reference the athlete's heart. Yeah. My father has been a professional athlete since 1978. He he literally didn't know anything different aside from just being an athlete and yeah. working out, right? His body. You paid think you're for, being healthy when you like work out, and you are, but it's stress on the body and the heart. Yep, and and stress is always good, but there's there's a difference between good stress and bad stress. Yeah. And I think any professional wrestler would agree that wrestling on that schedule the way you are, that's bad stress. <laughs> no, absolutely. We talk about this, me and JD, who's on the show sometimes. That like just even like chops to the chest, how I've, I've talked in, with other doctors, how bad that is for us. Like it's not <laughs> like it can cause irregular heartbeats. That's something as a wrestler we don't even think about. I've taken so many chops. I've given so many chops that chops to the chest can cause an irregular heartbeat, I've been told. And th- it's scary to think because it's such a demanding job. But like carrying around that weight, you're right too. You don't, you don't see guys in their 90s or late 80s that are 400, 500 pounds. And it's, it's a scary, it comes a point where you got to try to, and like, even for me, I want to, I'm going to, as I get older, I'm going to lose more and more weight and just, you have to, it's just too much stress on the, on the body and the heart and whatnot. But that's all we, we, a lot of this stuff we're just finding out, I feel like, and it's, it's just, I feel like it was caught so late that I don't even know. I mean, it had to mentally for him just trying to put myself and understand, like it had to have been, you know very mentally tough on him um, from a mental standpoint, just of uh, being the man essentially and being the alpha male. And then like when father time kind of creeps in and let know you're human, it's uh, it's a tough pill to swallow. No. And, and reality set in. And I remember driving down from, um, from Boulder, Colorado to here, Dallas, Texas and getting down here and just, we drove through the night and, um, you know, just brother time on the road, right? Yep. Late nights, music, talking, catching up, funny stories, bad stories, just everything in between. And, and this is, again, the first time that I'm going to be living in the same city as my dad since I was 18 years old. And I'm 30, right? I was, I was 30 when we moved him down here. I'm a man now, right? Yeah. And um, he he had a hard time with that. And that was that was a part of our relationship because he was always the one who told me what to do. And now I'm, now I'm 30 years old and I'm like, dad, give me the reins. Like, yeah. let me, let me take over. And there was times he did and times he didn't. Um, but him and I were going to do whatever the possibly imaginable to make sure I wanted to give him that 20 years, man. And this was the first time as, you know, being his son, I truly saw my dad scared. Yeah. Not that he, he was never scared before, 
just he hit it right yep um and this is the first time I, I truly felt it right and i'm like all right dad like when i felt that um it was real right and I remember talking to him in the drive down here. Then once we got him down here, you know, I set him up with a chiropractor. I set him up with a PCP. I set him up with a, a diet, diet nutritional, uh, digestive. He, he, has di- he had digestive problems on top of everything. Yeah. Um, a diabetic doctor. I mean, I, I had like six, seven specialists just for him, right? And this was just all built up through my network, through the job that I currently have. And cardiologist was last on the list, man. And I wanted it to be first. And respectfully, he said, I don't want to find out. And going to your point of you, you suggest people to find out about their health early on. Maybe you can stop it. it but it, that's also scary, man. It right? is. And yeah. Going to get an MRI on your lower lower back, your lower vertebrae, figure out what's really wrong with it. That's scary, man. Right? I like, did that. Honestly, I didn't. <laughs> it was with my back. I didn't want to. I didn't want to know for the longest time. And I, I'm, and I wish, too, for me and being in that environment. I wish I was told to go get one, and because uh, I, we had all the warning signs, yeah. um, but I caught it just in time for me. But it was a very tough pill to have to swallow. You know, you need a back fusion and five disc and a shoulder replacement. It was like we all we kind of as wrestlers we try to avoid hearing any of that. Well, we'll be fine. We'll go another week. Go another week. Go. And I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later. And <laughs> when I was reading that about him not wanting towards the end with you not wanting to go to the cardiologist, I completely understand because I feel he knew just how serious this was probably. And I mean, obviously just that it was um, like Once being with you is like being on vacation. Reality. I think he wrote like it just that just keep enjoying if it, as long as he doesn't know that the brain is very powerful. And even though there are problems, if he, can try to believe that there aren't for as long as possible, you know, um, because once you kind of know that when they tell you, no, this is a situation, your brain kind of changes, your confidence changes in your health when you're, you know, when you actually know what's really going on. And it, I, I just, I really felt reading that. I, I, it, I, I just recommend, I think everyone needs to read this book. I think it's just to get an understanding of everything and you've been, everything you've been through and how close you guys were. And, um, my very, heart goes out to you, man, because it's it's it, it definitely it, it's very touching, and it was I can just see how it wasn't easy. It's yeah, because it, once we were on what what we kind of talked about like was a vacation, right? And, yeah. you, and you referenced that earlier, because um, the the whole book's written by Kenny Casanova. He's the he's a ghostwriter for the book. Um, you know, I added some things and took some things out, etc. When him and I were editing it, but the last chapter was essentially written by me yep. um the, that there blog is what we're calling it and um and it just it, it talks about full circle man and how just i was able to spend time with him and and we were working out every day and and you know going to lunch i'd pick him up for lunch we'd go to lunch and you know go see movies we were just doing kind of just father and son stuff that we never truly got to do because he was always on the road man yep. you know and if if he did come home and i was like hey dad i want to go I want to go to this movie and he's tired, man, you know, and, and he's just been on the road getting his butt kicked or kicking some butt. One of the, one of the, one of the two for three, three weeks Yeah. in Japan and, and the time frame, uh, when it comes to sleeping, his sleep cycle was always off and, and it just, it's a vicious cycle, man. But we were, we were having fun, um, working out and doing father and son stuff. Right. Um, 
and everything was going good. Essentially, we got to a point, man. I can't. He came home from one trip, and he was grabbing his chest, and yeah. I remember him just walking, and he was like, I, "All right, make that appointment." And I had the doctor lined up and everything, so I made the call, made the appointment. We canceled the appointment. Didn't want to go. All right, Dad. Like, let's go. Like, we we got to figure this out, man. And um, eventually, we got him there. Um, diagnosis was not good, and like any wrestler, he didn't want to believe it, right? Yep. Leaves the, leaves the doctor's office, goes to his last autograph signing, which was in New York, um, and comes back the next day. And then when I pick him up, he's like, make the appointment. Let's go back in. It, I guess it just it wasn't good. Yeah. Made the appointment, um, put him in. Doctor's like, I, I honestly, Leon, I can't have you leave the hospital. You're at such a high risk for a heart attack right now. It's I'm uh, surprised you haven't already had one. Yeah. And um, we had 10, 10 clogged arteries, four of which need to be operated on immediately. So we ended up having a quad bypass. Um, and, you know, I, I remember going into the surgery and, and just thinking, my dad's going to get through this like he has everything, yeah. right? From 50, this 50 plus operations to. Always comes um, back. It just he he's always came back, man. And, and so I'm like, you know, you're one of one, Dad. Like, there's not another like you on this planet for a reason. So prove, prove father of time wrong again, right? And that's that's what we were. That was the plan, man. And um, I remember Sting, Sting, um, Sting would come by and, and visit. Um, and he he's a religious man. My father was yep. a religious man, and we would all say prayers together, man. And um, Surgery happened. Surgery went well. Recovery was okay. My father retained a lot of water. Um, that's something that he just did in general, which you know is is very risky when having the yeah. bypass, um, which would limit his ability to to walk. Right, and that's part of the biggest recovery of having a bypass is getting up and actually walking. Yeah. The sooner you can do that and get back to a regular walking routine, the better off you're going to be. And so. You know, my dad's holding like 50, 60 pounds of water in his legs. And he's like, it feels like sandbags. I'm walking those sandbags on top of just being seven days out of a, a surgery, right? Yeah. So recovery was okay. Wasn't the best. <sighs> Ended up going into uh, a long-term or short-term recovery hospital. Got him out of the, got him out of ICU, went over to the regular heart, cardiovascular ward. Then from there, we discharged to a, um, uh, long t or short term uh, recovery hospital, and we were we were doing okay, man. We were doing pretty good. We were we were taking walks around the uh, the hospital, and and things were looking good. And I remember, I was, I just gave my dad a haircut. I brought over my clippers and just you know trimmed up his beard and yep. trimmed his head up. And we were just sit sitting outside, and the sun was shining here in Dallas, Texas. Um and it was it was a beautiful day and I remember my dad being like wow Dallas is Dallas is kind of pretty right because we're outside of the city now we're in a suburb called Richardson and you know not as you know you don't have the big tall buildings etc and he missed that from you know always you know living in Colorado for, since you know since he got done with NFL he's always lived in Colorado which is you know one of the most beautiful states we have here in America and uh, Dallas he didn't he didn't see that in Dallas right and so I remember him saying wow like it's really green here and it reminded me of a video I had just seen on Facebook earlier and essentially the video was a son gifting his father a pair of glasses and the, and the story of it is 
the dad is putting on the glasses for the first time and tell he's a prideful man and he immediately covers his mouth and he's holding back tears. Yeah. And the son's recording this all on his phone and the dad finally without, you know, choking up and uh, cracking his in the voice so you can tell he's crying. He said, this is this what you see every day? And the son's like, yeah. And then the son pans around and you get to see what the dad's looking at and it's palm trees. It's the beach. It's the ocean. It's just beautiful. Right. You find out the dad was colorblind, so these glasses essentially allow him to see. And when my dad said, man, Dallas is really beautiful. It's green. It just clicked with me. I'm like, wow. Like, My dad hasn't been getting the oxygen to his heart that he had for whatever, I don't know, past 10 years. Like, yeah. It's no wonder life's become dull, right? He's, he's taken too many pain pills. He's a diabetic. You know, neuropathy of the feet is very real. Rheumatoid arthritis is very real. Then, then on top of it, we're, we're trying to lose weight and work out. That's just more pain, right? You're, you're putting your already yeah. very damaged body through stress now, right? We're trying to trying to work out and have him lose some weight. And then on top of that, man, just you, you, sleep is, is important in any person's life. And my dad had a lot of complications when it comes to sleep. And the book goes into much more detail about this. Yes. But I remember telling my dad like this is your glasses moment like you have a whole new perspective on life right and and it's there's so much beauty in life and and we just as people we take advantage of it right we, no, we absolutely we us do. who are you know quote unquote not colorblind just get stuck in a rut and we take advantage of seeing in color when there's people in this life who don't have it right and my dad had a whole new outlook on life and this was his glasses moment this was his moment where he finally saw saw life for what it was right yeah. he, he was you know we were we were going to work out we were going to lose the you know 60 pounds and he wanted to you know i i don't i don't have any children but he wanted to be around when his grandchildren was born and and i was going to do everything in my power to make sure that we were successful in that right um unfortunately right after we discharged from there things took uh, a turn for the worse and they came out of the blue um, it was his birthday, May 14th, which was coming up here and, uh, everything was great. I was going to pick him up. We were going to go for a walk. We were going to run some errands. We were going to see a movie and he just wasn't feeling up to it. And that, that was fine. Right. So I just picked up some lunch and him and I just hung out on the couch watching movies all day, having, you know, bonding time and, yeah. and just talking, putting together a plan for the upcoming weeks. That was a, I want to say it was a Sunday, um, Monday, uh, Monday rolled around, uh, we did a little workout, everything was fine. Tuesday, um, he didn't answer my phone calls, wasn't usual, unusual, but he texted me and you know everything was cool. Wednesday rolled around, he's not answering the phone, he's not answering the door. I you know stopped by his apartment, he's not answering the door, he's not answering my phone calls, something's going on, man. And this is like nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, I, I put my ear to his window and I can hear him snoring, right? And I'm like, all right, again, he has a sleep problems. He's sleeping. I'm going to let him get some sleep. I'm going to come back three, four o'clock in the afternoon and, and, you know, let's, let's get up and we got to walk, right? He can't just stop. And, um, I hear him breathing still, but I'm like, something's wrong, man. So I actually break the glass and I break into his apartment because he was on the first floor. Um, and, uh, it, it, life got real, real quick, man. Um, he was unresponsive on the bed. Um, I called 911, started performing CPR the whole bit, and uh, essentially my father ended up getting pneumonia out of the blue, and it shut down his respiratory system. And in the uh, in the ambulance right over to the hospital, he actually stopped breathing altogether, right? Yeah. And uh, I show up to the hospital. He's on a ventilator. 
and the, the machine's essentially breathing for him, and they put him in a, a medically induced coma. We were in a coma for about three weeks, um, and I'm just spending every every minute I possibly can over there, just learning everything I can about respiratory and uh, just machines and you know how we're weaning him off and you know why we have him in a coma. And then we essentially, you know, we we take the tube out of his mouth and we ended up having a tracheotomy, which is a tube in your throat. Yeah. Which and then we start waking him up. Um, again, remember he just went through a quad bypass, which would knock Superman on his butt, right? No doubt. And, uh, so that's where we were at. We were, we were recovering from heart surgery, but also trying to fight a very strong infection, uh, in his lungs. Um, and the, the infection came back a total of three times. We eventually woke, woke him up and my dad thought he was waking up from the heart surgery. Um, but again, you're having a tracheotomy, right? You can't talk. And um, so we're playing charades, and I'm the first face he sees, and I'm just praying he's just not going to lose his, his and, and be, you know, Vader to where he just gets up and starts, you know, a bull in a china shop, right? Yeah. That's what I'm just worried. And so I'm like, whenever he starts waking up, I need to be present. I don't care what anyone says. I have to be present because you guys don't understand. Like, <laughs> if he's scared and he no one's around that he recognizes, it's going to be Without, bad for yeah. everyone. So uh, that happened, and, and, you know, thankfully he, was, he remained calm, but he couldn't talk. And obviously I just kept talking to him and explaining to him what happened. Um, and um, so just, you know, just hang out and watch TV all day. He can't talk, so we're playing charades, and we do that for about two weeks. And I move him over to a respiratory recovery hospital that's in uh, downtown Dallas. And um, everything was going good, man. Uh, in fact, the doctor... Uh, we had been there a week, and it was a day after Father's Day. Um, I walk in, and the doctor pulls me aside. He said, hey, your, your dad's doing great, like way ahead of the curve, man, way ahead of the curve. Um, are you comfortable with us scheduling time tomorrow? Again, you be here because I know how my dad's works, and I know I know how, how he works, and so if I'm there, I can communicate a little bit differently than maybe how they communicate, right? So he's, you know, he's coordinating everything with me, and um, we were going to get him out of bed, and it was going to be OTPT coming in the next day, get him out of bed, and get him back to recovery. I mean, this was, he was going to be in the hospital four to six months, man. Like, this was, we didn't know if he was going to wake up, and, because when I found him, his, his O2 levels were at the 50s, yeah. and that's brain damage type stuff, yep. right? I, I didn't know if my dad was going to remember who I was, if he was going to. We had no idea, and, and his motor functions, we we just didn't know, man. And um, so he was like, are you comfortable in coming tomorrow and being a part of the, the therapy process? And I'm like, absolutely. And he said, well, there's a surprise for you. Go inside. And um, so I, I walk inside, and, and my dad looks at me, and he says, uh, he, he um, says, hey, baby boy, right? So that's how he, he called me baby boy, and I called him papa, and that's just yeah. our, our names for each other. And he says, hey, baby boy. And it's the first time I got to talk to my dad in a month and a half. Wow. Um, we were the speech language. Uh, they were doing a swallow study and the speech, uh, speech, speech language, uh, speech therapy, excuse me, was in there. And uh, they had the speaking valve on him. And it was the first time we were testing out his vocal cords. <clears throat> um, and this was uh, the, the day my father passed was that day. Um so him and I hang out for three hours and I'm literally 
I'm giving him sips of water. Yeah. Um, because we have to do we're doing a swallow study, so I'm giving him sips of his water and and you know saying I love yous and talking to him and he's asking questions and everything's good though, man. He's breathing on his own. He's swallowing. He's talking. You know, OTPT's coming in next day. Everything's great, man. And and I said, hey pops, I I gotta go. I gotta run back up to the office to finish some things out. I'm gonna be back down. You know, about five o'clock. I love you. And uh, he said, okay, cool. I love you. I'll see you in a couple hours. Um, so I head back up to my office. I ended up getting a call from the nurse. The nurse is like, hey, uh, are you free? And I'm like, yeah. He said, your, your dad wants to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, okay. So she called me from her personal cell phone, and he has me on speakerphone. And he just basically, you know, he's saying, I love you. Thank you for everything. Um, and he wanted me to bring his phone down to him. Because I had moved him out of his apartment and basically I moved everything in my living room. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it was a storage unit for a while. And um, so I was like, yeah, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll grab that before I come down and, and I'll see you here in a couple hours. And uh, just I love yous and goodbye. And uh, without knowing, that was the um, the opportunity for me to say goodbye to my father and tell him I love him. Because I ended up getting a call about an hour and a half later. Um, from the same phone number saying you need to get down here immediately. Um, I it's a 45 minute drive uh, with traffic and and that's what it was. I finally tore with the hospital and uh, my father had statted a total of three times. Uh, we had him on an IV, um, an IV to essentially adrenaline to make him you know yeah. great. We had zero brain activity uh, and a very very weak pulse and um, the doctors tell me you know. He's brain dead, um, and and again, I'm an only child, and at this point, I call my mom. I've lost it. I don't like. I stayed strong through through all of it, but at this point, I yeah. finally lost, lost it, man. And I don't know what to do. I I know again, my dad was always very comfortable in talking about life and how if he's ever you know in this state, he doesn't. He's like pull the cord, man. Don't don't ever. I don't ever want to be like that. And he always talked to me about how he would want his funeral. Um, you know, if if things were to go bad. Just, you know, from flying, you know, from Japan here and there. Just, he, he he lived a crazy life, man, and he, he always knew he was going to die young. And uh, uh, he started again while I'm standing there, and I just asked everyone to leave the room. And I jumped on my uh, jumped on my knees, grabbed, grabbed his hand, and just said prayers. Um, he passed away on uh, June 18th, around approximately 7.25 p.m. And... Uh, I, I firmly believe life came full circle uh, in the sense of, you know, he, he used to feed me and I'm literally the last day of his life. I'm, I'm talking to him saying I love him and I'm feeding him water. Yeah. Like I, that last day, man, was I don't know if you're a religious man, but and I'm, I'm not trying to talk, you know, about that to anyone. But I firmly believe that last day was given to both of us by God um, yeah. because I literally got the opportunity to say goodbye to my father. Um, and his only son was, was right there. And, uh, I remember I called one of my buddies out of the blue after it happened. Uh, he's a very good friend of mine, Ben Barisi, he lives up in Oklahoma. And I remember just letting him know like, Hey, my dad passed away. And I just needed to talk to him cause he died. His father had passed away when, yeah. when they were little, when, when actually when he was about 25. Um, and, uh, I remember talking to him and he said, man, <clears throat> what you gave your father at the end of his life. Uh, is priceless. I'm like, Absolutely. what do you mean? He said, you literally put your life on hold for his to watch him succeed. And he said, 
you know, he's a father now. And he said, as a father, I, I pray that I have the impact on my children's life that when my final days are up, that they're there the way you were. And yeah, man, uh, <laughs> seeing it, no, in the book, you could feel it in the book, reading it in the end. Like it's, there's no ideal way for any of this to ever go, but I feel like you being there is you got to the best possible scenario as far as for you being there for your father and your father had you there with him. I think that is about uh, considering the circumstances and the way things work out for a lot of other people. I'm happy that you had that closure, I feel like, to be there. Um, because it was closure without without knowing it was Without closure. knowing, yeah. Yeah. But, but at least being there, because not everyone gets to that. that. Very, very blessed for, yeah. to have that. Um, and, and, you know, as weird as it is, you, you can never prepare for death, family member's no. death. And what with what the way it played out, play by play, if you will, um, man, it was it was beautiful. As crazy as that sounds. Yeah, I, no, I, no, I, I feel that, it, man. It was beautiful, man. I wanted to tell you, too, and I know and from reading the book, it seems to me, um, and I feel like in reading in the end and the, the, the WWE Hall of Fame is something that I think is really important to your father. That was something, very, Yeah, very and I know it so. is to you too. And I know it's, he talks about you being his greatest accomplishment and that and his wrestling career, you know, if not the greatest super heavyweight, one of the greatest super heavyweights, but just, just great human and un, unbelievable wrestler. But getting into the WWE Hall of Fame seemed like it uh, was something that, that meant a lot to him. It's a uh, it's a tough group to get into. I don't know necessarily what what accolades you have to have to actually get in, but you're you're looking at a man, um, you know, Vader, thirteen world titles on four different continents over yeah. his career. He held three with three different federations at the same time on three separate continents. Um, the only super heavyweight to be wrestler of the year, PWI, um, ninety three. Um, talk about the the main events that he had, if you go down the list of, of people from, you know, obviously here in America, Sting, Flair, Hogan, um, and, you know, and then his WWF run, you know, um, Brett, Undertaker, Sean, um, to, you know, then, then talk about his, his impact on, on wrestling, uh, his debut, the debut of the Big Van Vader character, right, and Anoki, and how the, the stadium the Budokan, uh, or no, Sumo Palace, excuse me, Sumo Palace, the fans literally rioted to where the Federation, New Japan, wasn't allowed to come back for another two years. Um, I mean, people were literally trying to kill my dad because <laughs> they were so mad at the fact that they beat, he beat the Unsung Hero in the manner that he did to, yep. you know, uh, having the, the WWF run that he didn't, that he wished would have gone differently to then coming back to All Japan and, and winning the Triple Crown. My father was, he was the first American to hold the IWGP heavyweight championship, and that was New Japan, right? He's a, he was the first American to hold that. He's yeah. the first wrestler in history, that's including Japanese wrestlers, to hold the IWGP and the Triple Crown. He's, I mean, my, no, my the father career, it is, it is an amazing, yeah, accomplishments. He accomplished a lot in this, in this business we, we all love. Um, and, you know, for me, it was... Yeah, I, I feel very strongly he should be in it. I know my father very much wanted to be in it, um, but it's a tough group to get into. Um, so, you know, if if my father ever does receive that honor, 
I will gladly um, accept that on his behalf. Yeah, I think it's. The, I think it, there's no doubt he will. He will end up in there. It's just a matter of when, and uh, hopefully it's sooner rather than later because uh, he deserves to be in there. No doubt with that. If there's one thing, Jesse, that you know you would like everyone to to remember about your father, what would you want that to be? Um, the father. Uh, the father he was, Leon yeah. White. Um, yeah. Again, you know. Uh, his accolades are, are unmatched uh, worldwide. Um, you know, Mick Foley, the way he talks about him, Sting, the way he talks about him. Uh, you know, these, these are people that we very much just respect in this business. And, and my dad always brought out the best in his opponents. Because um, you, you had to earn it when you, when you fought Vader, right? Yeah. You, you had to fight for it. It wasn't just given. And uh, so... That's that's obviously extremely important in who Leon White Vader was. But for me, the most important thing, and, and you've, you've said it a few times, and it's voiced throughout the book on, on numerous occasions from numerous people, but every time I talk to anyone who knows how much he was involved in my life is who he was as a father outshines anything he ever did on the football field yeah. and, uh, and, and in the wrestling ring. Um, being Growing up, being the son of Vader and having him being on the road the way he was and never being home and being gone essentially half my life. My father accomplished more with me and set me up for success um, more than any father that I ever grew up around that was around full-time. Yeah. He, he he absolutely made sure I was set up for success, and he's made made me into the man that I am today. Um, he's extremely responsible for who I am, uh, the little things that I do in life, going back to that term. Um to not not being afraid of hard work, in fact, enjoying hard work. Um, very, very thankful for that, and uh, very blessed to have him as a father. No doubt. Um, so that, that, to me, is the most important thing for people to understand about who Leon White was, because you, you didn't get to see a lot of a lot of that in, in from the wrestling world, yeah. right? Because Vader's not supposed to have his, his kid ringside, right? Yep. No. He's not supposed to have his, his pretty wife. My mom, you know, uh, involved in wrestling. That's not supposed to happen. So, no doubt, Jesse. I, uh, I, man, I appreciate you being so open and, and talking about all this. I think it's really important. And the the book is again, it's Vader time, the story of a modern day gladiator, and um, they can get that. It's VaderTime.com. Is that correct? VaderTime.com. Not it's VaderTime. Just, just VaderTime.com. Yeah, yeah VaderTime.com. Uh, follow my dad's social media, his Twitter, at It's Vader Time. His IG is at Big Van Vader. Um, his Facebook fan page is Big Van Vader Enterprises. Um, you know, we have merch. Um, we have the book. We're obviously focused on the book right now. Um, but I, I'm actually looking at a replica of Vader masks uh, that will be coming out here shortly. Very cool. Um, the helmet in itself, that that piece. Uh you know, I have some exciting things coming out with that as well. So, you know, it's important for me to keep his legacy alive. Um, no I'm, this business put food on my plate, a roof above my head and clothes, clothes on my back. But the man responsible for that was my father. So it's only um, honorable that I, I continue his legacy and educate the world on it. And for me, you know, I, I do have a good job. I make good money. Um I'll obviously be paying back myself for the upfronting costs of a lot of things, but all of his estate, the funds go into a bank account that hopefully I'll never have to touch. 
for any reason. Um, but I have the opportunity through my dad's royalties, WWE royalties, and, and you know, the book earnings, et cetera, to where his grandchildren, uh, my children, you know, they graduate from college. I can toss them a set of keys to a new car and be like, that's from grandpa. Yep. Um, so I understand that, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to get rich off this. No, um, no, not this at is, all. This is for his grandchildren. No. So that's, I think that's another thing uh, I wanted to make sure I get across. Absolutely. Well, Jesse, I appreciate you uh, making time to come on the show. And uh, we're going to go ahead. We're going to take a quick break, guys. And I'll be right back after these messages. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's the big guy, Ryback. And I want to talk to you about Fuel Meals, my personal meal prep service I've been using for years. Meal prep at your doorstep. Fuel Meals at FuelMeals.com has something for everybody. An easy way to eat healthy in this fast-paced life we are all living. Whenever I'm in a pinch, I go to my Fuel Meals and I love it. I love to eat real food, but the fact is I can't cook for every single meal of the day. So Fuel Meals come in handy for me when I need it most and I think it could help you too. Tell them the big guy sent you and use discount code THEBIGGUY to save 15%. FuelMeals.com Feed me more. It's the big guy Ryback with Feed Me More Nutrition. And I just wanted to say thank you guys for another great year. We started the brand with three supplements and we're now getting ready to release our seventh supplement, our 10 count creatine. We just released our GTS Go to Sleep High Powered Sleep Aid. So if you have a difficult time falling asleep or staying asleep, check out our all natural GTS Sleep Aid available on feedmemore.com and Amazon. Speaking of feedmemore.com, we have all new domestic shipping rates. No shipping over $9.99 domestically anymore, with rates as low as $4.99. We want to be more competitive, and as a thank you guys for being loyal customers, offer you the best shipping rates we possibly can. So if you guys haven't checked out Feed Me More Nutrition, now's your chance. We are a premium all-natural supplement company that gives you safe, natural formulas that get results. FeedMeMore.com and Amazon. Get hungry. Stay hungry. Feed me more. All right, we're back, guys. Uh, big thank you to Jesse White coming on and uh, being so open and honest. And uh, you guys, I, I really, the book is, is, it's Vader Time. And it's on VaderTime.com. It's, uh, if you're a pro wrestling fan, it's uh, it will not disappoint. And there's a lot of cool stories in there. Um, I'm reading it right now, and it's uh, be, just how uh, you could just feel just talking to Jesse and listening, and uh, how much his father meant to him, and uh, how much he meant to his father. And it's uh, check out the book. It's, 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 like he said, it's worth the read on all that, but big th shout out to Ryan Satin as always for coming on. I really dig doing the uh, wrestling report and always have a good time just kind of, uh, BSing with Ryan and, uh, going back and forth on, on what's going on in the world of wrestling. Uh, I do want to give a shout out as always to wiretap radio and the wrestling classic on Instagram and a wrestling historian on Instagram for helping uh, get these interviews scheduled and whatnot. Real good foods. You could save 15% with discount code Ryback. 
on realgoodfoods.com. And also, big shout out to betonline.ag, a new partner here with Conversation with the Big Guy Ryback. If you guys are into betting online sports, check out betonline.ag. Uh, you'll hear in the, the new commercial that we have on the show for them on, on all the details on that. But you can go online, use your mobile phone to sign up today at betonline.ag. Try uh, in-game live betting where you can participate with all the action with every play. Use promo code CLNS50. That's promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sports book, sports book experts. Watch that there. But shout out to them, and uh, really happy to have them on board here as we continue to grow and evolve. We got a new podcast logo. We've really we got Wiretap Radio. We're working with CLNS Media as we continue to grow this show. We'll keep doing uh, interviews. I think we'll maybe we'll, uh, have JD and Joe on next week. I'm going to be trying. I really enjoy doing the interviews and uh, focusing on that, and along with the wrestling and whatnot, and, and reaching out to some more people here, guys like Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, we're trying to reschedule CT Fletcher still on all this, hoping to get him on. And as always, having people from the wrestling world on here, you know, just like today, Jesse Wade. I think it's more important talking about, you know, the wrestling. We all love wrestling, but we we all it's always wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. I like the life aspect of things and hearing the stories and his experience. I think we all can. Uh, there's stuff to be learned in all of this, and uh, to me, that it's very appealing for me personally. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cut back on the tips this week, guys, for the Patreon page, which is Patreon.com/slash Ryback. Uh, you can get the unedited version of the show with cussing on there. As you know, we we bleep that out just to be a little more sponsor friendly. And uh, as much as I like cussing, it's not needed all the time. So, but I also like to be able to say what I say. Sue me. For all fan mail, guys, do some plugs here to wrap up this week with conversation with the big guy right back. I had to just make sure that I was still recording. I thought I didn't hit record. I was like, I was just talking to myself the entire time. For all fan mail, P.O. Box 752740, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89136. Feed Me More Nutrition, available on feedmemore.com and Amazon. And uh, sign up to the newsletter on feedmemore.com, guys. You could save... 25% off your next order if you sign up to the newsletter. And you also will be getting weekly codes and discounts and specials only available to subscribers of the feedmemore.com email. For personal video shoutouts from myself, go to cameo.com slash the big guy Ryback. Professional wrestling appearances and bookings, book the big guy at yahoo.com or Bill Barron's at showbiz at aol.com. Wake up, it's feeding time, my motivational book. Available on Amazon in paperback, audible, and Kindle formats. Fuel Meals, my personal meal prep service. You can get, eat the healthiest of meals, chicken and vegetables, steak and vegetables. They got beef quesadillas, chicken quesadillas, anything you guys want. FuelMeals.com. Save 15% with discount code, the big guy. And follow us on social media, this show, youtube.com slash channel at CWTBG, at Ryback22, and at FMM Nutrition on Twitter at Feed Me More Nutrition on Facebook. The Big Guy Ryback 22, Feed Me More Nutrition in conversation uh, with the big guy. Conversation with the big guy on Instagram. Ryback247 on Snapchat. And as always, you can get Amazon merchandise for Feed Me More Nutrition and the Big Guy Ryback 
All that is on Amazon, under Amazon merch, under Feed Me More Nutrition, or if you Feed Me More Nutrition t-shirts or Ryback t-shirts, those will all come up sold by Feed Me More. Thank you guys for listening. You have just listened to another episode of Conversation with the Big Guy, Ryback. Feed me more. Subscribe, like, rate, comment, and 